The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. Hey there, Thunder buddies and travellers down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. I'm your party host, your patisserie chef on Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. How are you, my friend? I'm very good tonight, pal. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, apart from the like the blinding moment of panic where I realized I was halfway through my introduction and hadn't thought of my uh, <laughs> what am I on Thunder Road this week? I've I've stopped giving you shit for them because I mean you're over what a year and a half nearly doing this and you still haven't run out of any. Yeah, you haven't panicked. Yeah, and if I have repeated them, neither of us have noticed yet. Ah, no, I, I I stopped keeping track after like the fifth one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I took it as a as a personal challenge, and now I'm so far into it, it has to continue to be my bit. You've, you've worked you yourself it, worked yourself into a shoe, brother. Oh, I sure have. <laughs> One love, brother. HH. Um, yeah, no, I'm doing pretty good. Um, the The sun is back, which has has helped things a lot. Uh, I've been out and about in the garden and things like that. So, yeah, feeling good, feeling refreshed, in spite of mm-hmm. what we're about to discuss this evening. Uh, <laughs> Got, got your Hawaiian beach. shirt on. I I do, and my 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 flowery wreath. I'm 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 ready to go. Um, Look, looking like an Irish prince, IKEA. Yeah, and it's like it's we we don't really get much of a summer here, especially like this early in the year. We're not used to getting this much of a summer, so uh, I'm really really appreciating that. Um, oh, but it's the it's the whole thing of. Uh, Remember when you were in school and when you were doing summer exams, it would oh. always be like the, the most glorious of summer. Yes. And then as soon as they finished, it'd be raining. I remember specifically, so during my leave insert, which for non-Irish listeners, which is most of you, um, it's the kind of final exam in secondary school or high school. Um, bef- the, the one you do to see whether you can get into college or not. Um, and on the same day, I had French and biology and the the weather was so good during that exam but when we came out afterwards we couldn't sit down on the tarmac because it would burn us oh it was bubbling up like it oh it was melted yeah it was proper like nearly 30 degrees that day and it was like it was disgusting having to be in and we got the little break in the middle of the day as well so there was just that like little bit of a here's a taste of the sunshine that you can't enjoy when you're going in to get your lunch and then run back to do your biology notes and did, uh, did you have one of those schools where you had to wear the uniform? 
Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. We had to wear the full and like our, uh, there was like, there'd be a teacher in your school put in charge of the mm. uniform code monitoring all the students. And if your tie was so much as like marginally askew, uh, you were you were in trouble. Um, we had, we had introduced my final year of school, we'd introduced like a polo neck t-shirt for the summer months. Uh, but for whatever reason, I can't, I can't really remember now because it's been like 13, 14 years now. Um, we weren't allowed to wear them during the state exams. Uh, <laughs> my guess being, uh, if it was one of those days where like uh, the news crew or the newspaper showed up to go, oh, here's the students going into their exams that they wanted us turned out in the shirt and tie and everything to look good. Jesus. Uh, yeah, my, my school was never getting shown on any of that, so we didn't. <laughs> I mean, they wanted us to, but you know. Yeah, we, we, we were we were in a different part of town than you would have been, so... Yeah, we had the fella, we had the year before, so this is why there was a, a bunch of local papers and stuff were coming to get photos at our school uh, as part of the kind of rolling coverage of the state exams. The year before, we had the person who got like the top marks in the entire country. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so like talk about a high bar for the rest of us that none of us were ever going to like, you know, I'm quite proud of how I did, but like it wasn't a patch on this guy. <laughs> I think he got like, he got A1s, which are the top grade you can get in his in the seven subjects he had to do and then he did three extra subjects off his own bat and got i think two a1s and another a2 so i think i think it was like nine a1s and an a2 he got um so he's either a doctor now or a a politician i think he's an engineer i'm not i'm not too sure um he went off to he went off to yeah i think he went off to do engineering but like when we came back for our final year the year after he'd done his like there was like basically a shrine up to him in the hall <laughs> you know big huge uh like collage of photographs of like the principal shaking his hand handing him his results and uh him getting some sort of award or check or something for being the the, the highest mark student in the country is absolutely disgusting uh <laughs> having to follow con- that con- act con- contemplating naming the school after him at that stage like oh honestly it's like they're going because they did open a new part of the building that year and we were just like it's going to be like the, the wing is going to be named after him or some shit like this ah <laughs> uh, <laughs> But anyway, enough about grudges from a decade and a half ago uh, that I have in school. Let's talk yeah, about not, grudges not from two decades ago. <laughs> yeah. um, before we get into our episode, uh, talking about Bash at the Beach 98, uh, Lee, our, our usual round of beverages. And uh, this week we got to shout out a company because the two of us availed of, obviously because of... Uh, the, the situation that we all find ourselves in lately uh okay michael cole yeah i know yeah i was trying to think what was it they said i was trying to i was trying to make the, the current like, circumstances that's what it was yeah because of the current circumstances uh the whole being able to go to like different uh small off licenses to get uh my weird cans and make sure that i'm, I'm drinking different stuff every week not so much possible at the moment um, so I was doing some scouring online and uh, I, it was recommended to me this website, craftcentral.ie, who I think we've both got to give a bit of a shout out to here. Uh, if you are in Ireland, this might be, uh, and you're, you're a beersman like us, mm. uh, this might be the website for you. It's basically, you go on to Craft Central 
and um, they have a bunch of small kind of independent breweries. There are loads of Irish ones, loads of UK ones, a good few US ones, and then various other countries. Like I know I have a Swedish one and a few others like I that. I have one from New Zealand, um, I think. Yeah, yeah. So and and that it tends to change like based on their stock. So like some ones they'll have this, some ones they won't. Um, and they have good deals on, and it's basically what I like about it for the way we do things on here is that I am able to uh like just pick one can of a thing and another can of another thing rather than have to commit to getting like a case mm-hmm. of something. Um, one because I don't want to go sight unseen and buy a case of something I've never tried in case it turns out shite. Uh, and two because our whole thing is that I, I want to try a different beer every show so um, yeah they, they ship like nationwide for I think it was five euro yeah. um, Rid- and, a ridiculously good value and I was so overwhelmed with how good the value was on here I think I ended up getting like uh, 12 cans of all sorts of different shapes and sizes um, uh, with home delivery uh, for 28, 29 euro or yeah. something like that. So I was absolutely thrilled at myself. Um, and yeah, I think it was like I ordered it Saturday evening and it arrived, what was it, Monday afternoon? Yeah, yours arrived, I want to say, like two hours before mine did. And I had ordered yeah. what? I think want to say like an hour after you did on Sunday. Yeah, yeah it's ridiculous. <laughs> arrived by courier and everything like that. Um, so yeah, shout out to them. Um because I yeah I got my box raved about the service to you and all of a sudden you were on the website feeling peer pressured into getting your own case so (laughs) to to be fair it didn't take much you sent me the link and said this place is good (laughs) yeah there there wasn't much arm twisted involved um speaking of which now Lee what what do you have uh in the holster this evening well I actually tweeted out the uh beverage I will be having I have a it's called the Wild Beer Company is the brewer, and it's called their Millionaire Salted Caramel Chocolate and Milk Stout. Oh, look at this! Oh, no- notions, notions, Malone over here. Absolute notions. Oh. Back, what what was the uh, name you christened me in Germany? Uh, the Mariah Carey of Micrafts. Is that? Oh it? yeah, that that's the one. <laughs> Hang on, the I'm deep. just gonna have a taste of this because I love salted caramel, so I'm hoping I enjoy this. Oh yeah, I drink that. Yep. Yeah, you would you? Okay. <laughs> yep. I'm gonna get more of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're one for one now at the moment. I have to say I did have one the other a couple of nights ago. Yeah. Actually I've had two of them out of pack since. So I had the oh, I can't remember the name of the brewer. It was the the Raspberry Sour. I know um Emma, Emma G, our friend, was saying she's a shout, big fan of Shout out to Journey Through Grill Island. Yes. Um, she's a big fan of the sours, which you are too. Yes, and like I, I can't think of the name of the fucking brewer. It's not White Hag, is it? No, it's not White Hag. Oh, we'll find, we'll, we'll, find, we'll find it out and tweet it out at WCW Thunderpod. Yeah. But I also had the tiramisu, tiramisu stout the night before. How was that? <sighs> nice. It was a bit heavy. Yeah, like, I have to say, this is a stout milk stout, and yeah. this is just this is like incredibly smooth. Was the uh, the tiramisu one basically like in my head? It feels like a pint of Guinness with a dessert on top of it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> in terms like of I way. finished a can and I went, okay, now I'm not eating breakfast in the morning. <laughs> I need to go for a sleep. <laughs> uh, I have speaking of, I just mentioned there the White Hag Brewing Company. 
uh, and I'm gone with the, the brand new uh, beer in their range, which is the Hellas style lager uh, called Roke Hellas. Um, they're an Irish company, and uh, I'll tell you one thing that um, do they have a fancy like, can? Is that what you like? This is it does. It is such a that's exactly what I was gonna say, Lee. Is that like these companies see me coming a mile off because like yeah, I'm kind of interested in what type of beer and stuff like that. I'm still kind of finding my sea legs with understanding that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you, a fancy can will get me nine times out of ten. <laughs> Hang on, I'm gonna look up the can see if I can see it. Oh yeah, that's really nice. That's actually really, really, really nice. Okay, I just went on the White Hag Twitter and the first thing I see mm. is they have available for pre-order a salted caramel pastry stout. Oh dear. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that bombshell. Um, <laughs> Fucking Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> <laughs> We'll mo- we'll move on from uh, from our, our extended beer section, beer corner, and uh, go into our show of the night. Bash at the Beach, nineteen ninety eight, July twelfth, nineteen ninety eight, San Diego, California, and we kick off this program, Lee, with a truly insane opening video, and it feels like one of those uh, kind of video packages that they would have that nowadays they would have to put a seizure warning in front of. Yeah, I watched this opening package twice and I still don't know what was happening because all I got was Waves and Goldberg. Yeah. The the one thing I did like about it, so there's yeah, there's like it's a it's a whole array of sound and 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 like it's just a very visually noisy as well as being just noisy noisy. But the one thing I like about it as well is like um the dramatic voiceover man who he's just saying people's names. Like yeah. it's Rodman Malone. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it, it, yeah. <laughs> Hogan. It's like it's it's proper good. Uh, I like that, and I I liked that. But Lee, and you know, this is a thing we come back to on the show a lot. Oh, I love this set. Oh yeah. Oh god, yeah. You've got, you've got the lifeguard chair. You've got the sand. You've got um. Uh, it's very. It, it, I know it's basically just a spring stampede set with sand instead of like hay, but yeah. still, it's so yeah. fucking good. Yeah, I think I think now, especially when we kind of when all the the settings we're used mm-hmm. to in Major League Pro Wrestling are so kind of anodyne and just like it's all just okay. Here's the HD screen, and maybe sometimes we'll move a couple of the ancillary screens around and make it seem a little bit different. But it all feels kind of variations on a yeah. theme. Um, and this just makes us now, obviously, there's been some misses as well as hits. With the, there, there are months where WCW are trying and there are months where they are not. Um, but especially between this and uh, kind of people who follow me on Twitter at the day to save will have seen that I'm, um, I'm re- re-watching a lot of WWF 2000. Um, and there as well, I'm gaining more appreciation for the special sets that pay-per-views would have that just kind of, we've said it before, it just makes it feel Major League, doesn't it? Yeah. What was in 2000, the big chair for King of the Ring? Um, no, 2001 was that one. That oh, was, was the, my mind is broken. Yeah. My body is broken, yeah. Because um, that was uh, Angle and Shane was on that show. Where, where they had the plate glass German suplexes. Did they not have the big chair the year before, no? I don't remember. Now, 
Look, it was very late at night when I watched it, but I don't remember it. I think it was just a giant KOR with the swords, uh, if I remember rightly. Um, you make me I, look I think... Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we have the beach party set up, and not only do we have the beach party set up on the stage, we have the beach party set up at the uh, the commentary booth as uh, not only is it set up like a little oasis, but uh, we've got our, our three suave gentlemen in uh, Tony, Brain, and Mike Tanay rocking it in their best Hawaiian shirts. And there were some fits on display tonight, Lee, weren't there? Yeah, and do you know what the worst one of them all was? Who? Mean Jean. <laughs> yeah, oh, Mean Jean just wasn't there to play ball at all. Mean Jean was just like in James Bond cosplay. It was just boring in his white tux. Like. In his white tux at a beach. Like, come on. Although, to be fair, like, part of me in my head is like the visual of Mean Jean in a, in a Hawaiian shirt would be very strange to me. Listen, you know college campuses have seen Mean Jean in a Hawaiian shirt. I'd say they've seen him in less. Mean Gene was a man who partied. Um, I, I, I'd say Mean Gene does a mean Ric Flair impression when he's drunk. He he feels to me like he was a guy, Mean Gene, who... Do you know one of these... You know, like, older men sometimes will still, even if they're not working, will still wear suits when they go on an airplane because oh, yeah. travelling is still an occasion? Uh, that's what it feels like to me. It's like <laughs> Mean Gene was like, no, it's it's a pay-per-view. I'm, I'm wearing a tux. Like, that's what we do. This is the professional wrestling business, gentlemen. You know? <laughs> One of those kind of things. Fearing Ganya will stretch me if I show up to a show. <laughs> well, yeah, you just had the, the fear that Ganya would just explode out of a cupboard and attack him or something like that. Um... But yeah, I they, I just like I love the Hawaiian shirts, and oh, then yeah. yeah, all night it felt like such a such a contrast that this this man, Mean Gene, would be standing on a beach themed set with the deck chairs and the inflatables and all that, and there he is in his in his white dinner jacket and stuff. But how, mu- hey, how much do you think they would have had to pay to get Buffer to show up in a uh, Hawaiian gear? Oh God, like uh, I I don't want to already talk about that man and sour my night, but yeah, I. He, th- there was a man who like okay I'll do it but that'll be another 50 G's or whatever and they probably would have paid it as well oh they would have yeah um, our opening match uh, for this evening is Raven versus uh, Saturn who was definitely in the spirit of getting a tan on because he came out with his shades and his bandana on um, you're forgetting the most important part go on he's in trunks he is yes there's been a change Sa- um, Saturn is now a real wrestler yeah, it's it's weird because again, you would have thought that maybe this would have started. He would have started wearing those about I don't know, a month and a half, two months ago mm. when he was doing the whole. No, I'm not in the flock. I'm just your mate, sort of thing. That would have been an, a good time to do that. Um, that it was kind of just all right, okay, just we're just doing this now. Um, but well, yeah, he looks t- like a proper wrestler. Tanay was like putting it over on commentary that like this is his way of distan- distancing himself mm. from the flock. Yeah, and and they did do it. They did do a decent job of kind of reestablishing that timeline of him going. Well, look, he was with the flock for X amount of time, but in Saturn's mind, he never was in, in the, the flock. flock yeah. He was just with the flock. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, I was kind of noticing that God, like, the production values are great for like pyro and uh, for sets and things like that. But Jesus Christ, like, would they not put a bit of money into the entrance videos? <laughs> We've noticed it on Thunder before where it's just man's name and then, like, footage of man doing one move. 
but like they all on this show I was paying closer attention than usual on this show I, I think maybe because the screens were so right in front of the, the camera as they were coming out and like god they all looked like what by today's standards would be bad gifts. oh yeah that that's all they are like it, and that's what annoys me so much about modern WWE when they change from actual entrance videos to just like the, oh, the graphic of the yeah, dude's the name yeah yeah it's just like uh, they, they saw WCW do this for years. Like they had to know. Like the, how cool was it when you got the, the SmackDown games that you could sit there and yeah. watch the videos? Well, that's what I was gonna say. Like if WWF at the time was the equivalent of the SmackDown games, where they'd have the full videos. Like mm-hmm. remember, was it the early two ones where the entrance is basically them walking out in front of the full screen video? Yes. Um, but by contrast, then this WCW video setup was like No Mercy sixty four, which is a, an infinitely better game in my view. But uh, their entrance videos were just like very grainy still images, just flashing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was just it was it was just a little bit of kind of like they're putting so much money into everything. Why would they not just go the extra, the extra mile with these? Um, Saturn comes straight out to meet Raven during his entrance on the ramp, and they start brawling around. And uh, we we get the start of what was a motif for the night, and that was people who are really mad at barricades, Lee. <laughs> yeah, poor Raven. He got fucked into the barricades about 15 that's times here. That's exactly what I said. I wrote down in my notes, Saturn absolutely fucks Raven into the barricade. I mean, and the, the first couple of minutes, like, he, like just repeatedly. Like, yeah. what did Raven ever do to Saturn to deserve this? Yeah, and like I think it was the second time he threw him in, he threw him in to to the barricade uh, with such force and fury that Raven knocked into the barricade, and the barricade knocked a fan over. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, could you imagine if that happened now? It'd be, it'd be, and rightly so, an absolute scandal. Um, but my God, uh, just yeah, like. Uh, this wasn't the only match that people were just getting thrown willy-nilly into barricades, but it was definitely the, the stiffest. Like, Saturn was proper launching Raven in, uh, and Raven was making no attempt to kind of, like, cushion himself at all. Uh, fair play to him. Um, Sat- uh, they get back into the ring, and Saturn... Um, there's an awkward moment where Saturn kind of stumbles off the top rope. Mm-hmm. It's like he's caught in between trying to do two things and loses his footing. Uh, he recovers very quickly and just hits a standing drop kick on the ground. Um, I was kind of surprised that it was like the early part of this match, Lee, it was like it was all Saturn for a lot longer than I would have expected. I kept expecting, right, this is the bit where Raven gets the heat. This is the bit where he gets the heat. But like Saturn just kept whooping him. I think it kind of because Saturn was on top for so long, I think it, it became obvious that, right, he's not winning. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like, like, like they, they, they tried, like, well, I know Tanae brought it up that um, Raven, like, must have been loving the first couple of minutes of this match because all he was doing was getting beat on, which, you know, Raven has said before, he enjoys being punished and beaten yeah. and he thinks he deserves it and all that kind of fucking weird shit, but, like, um, yeah, no, it was all just Saturn, and it be kind of became a bit much like it's like right Saturn's the babyface, like you know, babyfaces don't dominate like this. Yeah. Um, when Raven did finally get the heat, though, uh, I'll tell you what. One of the first things he did was give Saturn a barricade-shaped receipt. Mm-hmm. He definitely put a little extra sauce in that toss. Um, 
sending Saturn in, crashing into the barricade. Uh, Saturn then fires up on him and hits, I'll tell you what, the leg kicks uh, to the head, or the, yeah, the kicks to the head he gives in the corner mm-hmm. here. Brutal. Yeah. Uh, we, like proper we, we mentioned that before that's a great spot and the camera work like the cameraman yeah. is right there on top of them yeah hits a really snug looking T-bone goes out to get a chair because of course this is Raven's rules uh, he hits Raven with the chair and then does uh, in one of the the cooler spots of the whole night he does his uh, springboard rebound leg drop onto the chair which is sitting on top of Raven's head um, very Sabu-esque Indeed, and speaking of Sabu-esque, he goes to set up the chair to do his springboard into the corner. Uh, Riggs and Lodi come in, and both of them immediately eat a back suplex, which got a huge pop mm-hmm. uh, from the I, crowd. I, this- I, I tell you what, how good was Lodi's get up here? Oh, he was like, he, you know, he, he's not a man to, to be subtle, uh, but yeah, he may have topped himself here. Do you want to r- run down the, the, the fashion? He's got, he's got the Hawaiian like? shirt, he's got the tight denim shorts, He's. Uh, I think he's still wearing his like his boot, his wrestling boots, <laughs> and um, well, one, you got to be ready to work. At one point, he has on a straw hat, and he does not yeah. look too dissimilar to. Do you remember Hat Guy from DCW Arena? Yes, yes, I do. I do remember Hat Guy. <laughs> he looks very like Hat Guy at one point, and I can't help but think Raven would have you know planned that. Yeah, I. Yeah, that that would seem like the kind of thing that Raven. Eh, I think this is funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, I I love just how kind of Riggs and Lodi, you know, we know their role. They're the guys. They're they're the guys who just get beaten up by the baby face, and they must have been in for all of five seconds. And Saturn, looking like he wasn't even out of first gear, just picked the two of them up. Back suplex, yep. brilliant. Crowd went wild for it. Um, he attempts to do his step up Yakuza kick, but uh, Raven falling into one of his familiar patterns of like putting someone else into harm's way, uh, pulls Nick Patrick into the way who. <laughs> he eats the Yakuza kick into the corner and I must say Nick Patrick sells this like he's being shot with a taser <laughs> did you see this like fall into the ground and like yeah. doing the full Tommy Dreamer twitch the like. electric shock yeah twitching yeah. on the ground yeah or like uh, when who else used to do that a lot Devon used to do it as well didn't he a lot. oh yeah Devon would take like a big bump off like fucking like a superplex yeah and he fucking do the twitch like you do a full circle in the ring twitching like yeah um I, I did enjoy uh, w- I, I caught sight of one uh, side of Lodi's sign which said beach flock uh, which made me laugh did, oh uh, did you notice at one point I think Saturn does a plancha and I don't think the, the ring crew were expecting this and you can see there's two crew on the floor writing Lodi science because there's <laughs> I missed this there's signs on the ground and there's markers and the two crew kind of they scattered away. Oh wow! I can't believe that's you missed no, it. I completely missed that. Ah, uh, that's and, brilliant. And I can't, for the life of me, think why they didn't <laughs> just have the signs pre-written. Yeah, like that would seem like, and like yeah, have them under the ring or whatever. That's fine. But like, why did they need to be written during the match? That, yeah, that's baffling to me. Like, it's hardly like, okay, no, Lodi's an improv guy, so he's going to just <laughs> shout ideas at us. <laughs> and we have to yes and them with these signs. Oh. Lodi putting the sign on the ring apron and, like, tongue sticking out the side of his mouth, writing out his next sign. Like, yeah. 
Saturn then make uh, so yeah Saturn goes to make a raven sandwich with two tables either side and Lee this is something so this happens in wrestling sometimes where you get the guy who is sitting on a table and then a table is put on top of him and I can't for the life of me figure out the point of the top table if the, like if you're thinking about this as a shoot you know what I mean like you're essentially then going right I'm going to destroy you foe of mine but I'm going to put myself through a table on the way down you know it's yeah. always been a really weird one to me. I've never understood it either. I don't see like, like you're not yeah. you're actually losing momentum by going yeah. through a table. Yeah. Um. Like obviously, if you're gonna put someone else through the table onto the next person, that like mm. right, that's fine. But like throwing yourself yeah. through it, it makes no logical sense. And some would say that the, the the loss of momentum makes it less likely that you're gonna break a table on the way down. And let's see if that happens in a couple of seconds here. <laughs> Um, I, I will say, like, the tag team version is much cooler looking, where you have, like, one guy on a table, then the table, and then the other guy on top of that. I've mm-hmm. seen that. So that looks cool. Um, and that makes more sense, because you're destroying two opponents in one move. You know, that makes sense. But yeah, the, like you said, hurling, hurling yourself through a table on the way down before you even get to the guy makes absolutely no sense to me. And I don't um, understand why they had a double stack in this match. Like, it makes... It doesn't play into it at all. Yeah. Do you think, like, the pu- public enemy were backstage at, like, craft services or something like that, just looking at the camera going, motherfucker, stealing our gimmick? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they did it just to piss off public enemy. Who knows? Yeah. Um. So the Raven sandwich is constructed. Canyon comes in and saves Raven. But, like, it's so awkward because, like, Saren clearly saw that, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Like, he, how could he not? He was yeah, looking like at was the tables. T- it was directly in front of him. He wasn't blinded this time like he had been uh, the other week uh, with the the powder or whatever was thrown at him. Um, and like, again, because it's something that would come up in a match later on, would it really have been that difficult for like someone in the flock to throw sand in his eyes to make this a bit more logical? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So like, he, he, he sees Canyon saving Raven. Cl- cl- he clearly clocks it. Mm-hmm. Still dives. Neither table breaks to the resounding surprise of nobody. Uh, it's an Canyon... awful bump, like just fucking oh, horrendous. Hideous. Yeah, and it's like it's really disappointing because we've seen him get really good air on those moves, and mm-hmm. this was just like he just fell off the top rope through them. Poor Simon. Um Yeah. Uh, so um, Canyon pulls pulls Raven into yeah, the ring. So he pulls Raven into the ring and then just hits him with a flatliner onto a chair. Uh, Onto a chair. I suppose the 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 reasoning behind that is like, oh no, I want to be the one to destroy him, kind of thing. Um, and you know this possibly ratchets up tension between uh, Canyon and Saturn, which is a match I would very much like to to see become a program. Um, Saturn rolled in by Riggs. He kicks out. Um, there's a there's a drop toe hold that Saturn takes like absolute shite. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just, I, it's weird, uh, like, for such a, like, a consummate professional wrestler that he just took that really bad um, super kick into the chair by Saturn, and then he hits a Death Valley driver on Riggs. Raven notices that he's distracted while doing the Death Valley driver, so he runs up behind and hits him with the even flow and wins. Um, I liked, kind of, the first two-thirds of this match, but I think, like... This uh, is one of many examples on this show, and I'm sure in the coming months and years of WCW just not being able to get out of its own way and overbooking everything. Um, 
it, it felt like you could have done a much more simplified version of this that got you the same result. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason that you couldn't had either Saturn or Raven just beat the other guy, and then Canyon comes in and does his bit. That's all. Yeah, that's all they needed. You could have had Raven catch Saturn somehow. Uh, like a roll-up or a kind of like a, a, a distraction or something like that. And then separate to that, you know, have ha, then have Saturn so incensed that he takes out the two flock guys and he goes to murder Raven. And then you have the bit with Canyon where he comes in, no, I'm going to kill him, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like there was a way that you could do that that gave it a bit more breathing space. This felt like they were trying to do three angles in about 40 seconds uh, and it just didn't come off for me. Um. Speaking of not coming off for me, we're moving on to uh, a bit of uh, Eddie and Chavo stuff next. We've got Gene on the ramp with Eddie. Um, Eddie, uh, God bless him. Like you want to talk about a guy trying to make a silk purse out of, a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Um, Eddie, in his interviews leading up to this match, I don't know if you feel the same as me. Like he feels like a guy who is trying his level best to make this in any way sensical or interesting at all. But I just, I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> Oh yeah, like Ed, Eddie is doing his level best to make this something like just anything. To, like he's trying to get Chavo over. He's trying to get himself even more over. Like yeah. I, d- I don't want to say trying to get himself over because Eddie was fucking seriously over with the WCW crowd at this point. Um, yeah. But yeah, like like I said a couple of weeks ago, this is when I really for the first time saw that fire in Eddie in WCW. Yeah. Mm. And you see it like just the look as he's walking out, like he just doesn't yeah. break the whole time he's the scale. out. Like yeah. it's just Oh god, I miss Eddie. Yeah. Um he said he was concerned that Chavo had a screw loose before and knew that when he accepted a match with Stevie Ray that he must have. And this is the thing, like when when did this accepting a match with Stevie Ray thing happen? Okay, the only thing I can think of is Saturday night. Yeah, because oh, no, actually didn't they have that LA thing that the melee yes, LA. on Friday. Yeah, because... So we watched... Obviously, we did Knights of Nitro, and then we did Thunder. So we've seen the last two shows consecutively, the last two major shows. Mm-hmm. Or... Uh, and it wasn't mentioned then. And then when I did the You Guessing the Matches, we were both kind of stunned to learn about this match. Um... But yeah, it's just weird. Uh, Eddie says it's going to be a nice and easy night for him because he's going to have that match with Stevie Ray and then Eddie's going to get in there after, give him a nice haircut and send him home to Mama. And if only things had been that simple, Lee. Uh, But first, we get to uh, Kidman versus Hoovy. And uh, again, this is another... These guys have, you know, like, obviously, Kidman is kind of... uh, He's not long in and Hoovy is Hoovy. So mm-hmm. there's definitely an element of sloppiness whenever these two guys get in the ring at this point. But um, do you know, I actually enjoy watching the two of them wrestle. Oh, I, I really enjoyed this match. Um, before we get into the match though, Kidman's entrance. Yeah. Did you take note of the entrance music? Uh, I didn't write anything down, but there's something jogging about entrance music here. What What was it? I think it was Vampiro's entrance music. Oh, I might go back and listen to that. It did seem familiar, but I can sometimes I'm like, you know, some of the the dub jobs mm-hmm. are better than others, and like half the time I'm kind of doubting myself, going, was this original or was this a, a, a network dub? But I, I'll go back and listen to that. And if it wasn't Vampiro's, it's somebody from that like summer '99 WCW, and I know WCW are notorious for recycling teams. 
Hence, you get like Patanaka in 1996 with the Goldberg team, and um, but yeah, no, like I heard this music, I was like, I, I could swear it's Vampiro, and I, I, I'm 50% sure it's Vampiro, but like if somebody turns around to me and says, Oh no, it's X, I, I won't be surprised, but it's it's somebody from the summer of 99, like the, the era I'm very familiar with, because I heard that and I was like fuck like why is Kidman coming up to this like Kidman has very distinctive WCW music that he carried over to WWE yeah mm. I don't know uh, the, the thing about this match that I noticed and maybe it's why it distracted me so much with the music is that uh, Kidman was looking a bit more like a professional wrestler and less like a shoot junkie in this one shoot <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was to the point, I suppose, shoot is probably, uh, like, there's probably a better word, you know, all things considered. Um, but yeah, he, like, and even to the point where Brain was talking a bit, like, the, the lads in commentary were talking about it, and Brain was just going, ah, oh, you look, he's a bit cleaner. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, Brain didn't want to give him too much credit. His, his t-shirt um, doesn't have any holes. I think that was the extent of what Brain said. Yeah, uh, Brain said something about, yeah, he's got his cleanest pair of dirty jeans on or something like that, he said. Mm. Um, and the other thing that uh, was interesting to note was the lad saying that this was Kidman's first pay-per-view match. Yeah, Tanae brought that up, actually, and I'm surprised that because Kidman had been around since, I want to say, like, mid-96 in the company. Now, I know he only got the, the push as part of the flock um, yeah. in around 97 or whatever, but I'm surprised he didn't have, like, a pay-per-view opener or one of the luchadors before this. Mm. Yeah, it just seems like a guy who would have been thrown thrown in there um, was he in the Battle Royal? I but it might be, this might be like his proper first match match. Which Battle Royal? The the Cruiserweight Battle Royal. Oh. That Jericho did all the ring intros for. I feel like he, he was. He was, he was. So this is his first singles match. His first one-on-one, yeah. Mm. And I feel like Kidman is somebody that would have put in a World War Three at one point. Yeah, because... Um, like, I don't think we're firmly at the point where um, they just start ignoring the company's history and not researching stuff yet. <laughs> so maybe what they mean is it's his first singles match. Yeah, that that's probably it, Ari. Um, so, yeah, back and forth action, as you'd expect, uh, early on here. Uh, Lodi tries to hold Hoovy in place for a pa- uh, plancha. Hoovy ducks and then really quickly back into the ring, delivers a plancha of his own to both of them. That was cool. Um, Hoovy attempts a roll-up, which was reversed really cool into a, a wheelbarrow German mm-hmm. suplex. So yeah, they, they've clearly, they've wrestled each other enough on TV and probably at house shows as well, where I think they're getting a feel for each other and they're starting to think of like interesting ways to get into different moves that they do with each other. Yeah, you, you can see that familiarity is building and um, like you, you can see the improvement in Kidman every time as well, every time he's out there. Especially with somebody, the level of Hoovy, like and... I know people make fun of Hoovy from 2000 and, you know, the, the juice. But, like, yeah. it, this time in 1998, like, Hoovy was a fucking, he's a good wrestler. Yeah. He's, like, yeah, that's, you know, um, we talk about, he. there are some nights where he's clearly not at the races, but this was this was one of the, the better nights we've definitely mm-hmm. seen of him so far. Uh, a really cool moment for me was uh, Hoovy taking Kidman up top for the 10-punch spot, but Kidman, Kidman hits an avalanche sit-out spine buster, which really, I think the crowd had started to kind of 
they like the the cool high spots that the cruiserweights mm-hmm. do, but sometimes they use these matches to kind of rest and relax for the big angle matches coming up. Um, but this Avalanche sit out spinebuster got an absolutely massive reaction from mm-hmm. the crowd, uh, and the traditional call of sidewalk slams from Tony. <laughs> Yep, and it's not the only time he does that tonight as well. Um, yeah, I believe Billy would call that the BK bomb. I think he used it as a finisher in WWE. Yes, you are correct. Um, what what uh, did you think of today? Adding the context that um, Kidman has is actually jealous of Hoovy's four fifty and the attention it gets because he feels the uh, the seven year itch is the superior flying move. Yeah, I like it. Um, it's like because it. It's not a major storyline point, but it's like, I just like, yeah, like people will be jealous of stuff like that. Yeah. It's it's like a not shite version of what they were doing with Glacier and Saturn and the, the standing sidekick. <laughs> you mean the, the move that Glacier invented? Yes, yes. <laughs> Never. Sean who? Never heard of him. Um, <laughs> no one's ever done that move before. Um but anyway, yeah, it's so like the pace is picking up now and Kidman gets hung up on the ropes. Ropes, And this is a good spot. As Hidman, Kidman is kind of like sacked on the ropes, Hoovy springs in and hits a Frankensteiner to throw him inside mm-hmm. the ring. Uh, and then a, a running at approximately 60 miles an hour hits like a running bridging German suplex, which looked great. Um, and then, Lee, the most frightening move of the whole night that caused me to nearly scream... <laughs> In the, in the middle of the night watching this in my house that caused me to immediately text you. Um, <laughs> Hoovy hits this Uranagi slam on Kidman. And you could not have dropped this man anymore on his head and neck if you tried. Um, this reminded me, if you, if you don't want to go back and watch this Bash at the Beach spot, there's one of the Omega Okada matches where... I, Okada gets spiked in a pretty similar fashion. You, but I don't think. Are you talking about he, the uh, top rope dragon suplex? No, no, no. There's a Uranagi in one of their matches where, like, Kenny picks him up and, like, does a full 180 turn and mm-hmm. drops him on his head with a Uranagi. I want to say. Whoa. No, I don't want to say which one of their matches it is because I'll probably get it wrong. Um, but I, I will look it up and kind of put it down as a dramatic reconstruction on Twitter. <laughs> uh, this is basically what happened to Kidman's head. Yeah, but no, my, it, like the the Uranagi that that Hoovy does here is it's sick. Like it, it's the only word only word he used to describe the way yeah. Kidman lands. And, and honestly, if he hit, if he could hit this Uranagi and it looked like that, and he wasn't hurting people, this should be a finish. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I, I was actually, got, when I saw it the first time, I was actually going to send you a message going like, yeah. Hoovy just did the, the greatest rock bottom of all time. Yeah, yeah honestly, <laughs> I, was, I couldn't believe it. Um, And like, even, it completely took me out. I know Billy Kidman is fine and alive now, but for about <laughs> half a second, I wasn't so sure. Um, if you had a lady or not moved, you wouldn't have been shocked, like. No, no. Um, Hoovy hits a Hoovy driver, but there's a kick out, uh, and he eventually gets the the 450 for the win. Uh, I I really like as well at this finish after he hits the 450, Lodi dramatically sliding into mm-hmm. the ring at 3.1. I t- <laughs> just absolutely useless. I tell you what, I loved it's, again. It's just a little thing, and this the, the little things that you kind of pick up when you rewatch things. Um, Hoovy does the Hoovy driver, and he goes for the pin and gets a two count, and Tony on commentary goes. Normally, Hoovy would pull him over to the to the corner for the four fifty, 
But yeah. because Kidman was in the dead center of the ring, he he felt like he had to go for the pin. Yeah, uh, and like it it it's that nice bit of explaining the logic of what's mm-hmm. happening here, while also educating a crowd about this is how a Hoovy match goes. Yeah, you know what I mean. I I think that was an excellent bit of commentary there it, to, like, to it, add context. It's like Hoovy knows it's not a death kill move, but yeah. I mean he's dead center. He's not getting a rope break here. Like. Mm. Um, next, we had uh, the, the two main men, Stagger Lee and Conan, chilling in the internet location. And they had such great, like, a kind of uh, banter here back and forth that I really want to see these two men in a nightclub after a pay per view. <laughs> so they absolutely tear it up the pair of them. You think Lee Marshall was loud on the uh, Wolfpack Night, though? At, at Lee, look at the look in in Stagger Lee's face while this is going. He is having the fucking time of his life. He's like, I'm cool. <laughs> you know what I mean, like I can I I can hang out with the cool wrestlers too. Uh, I was so happy for him you, here. You think normally th- you think he was allowed to stand around them when they were having their their smokes outside? <laughs> <laughs> normally you get shit happening to him in the internet location like the one that um we loved so much that uh our good buddy galazzo dan on twitter uh tweeted out there recently the one where he's interviewing raven in the internet location he goes to ask raven a question he goes william shakespeare once said <laughs> like <laughs> his eyes nearly roll out of his head uh, oh good stuff next up we have the mac classic that is stevie ray versus chavo um what one thing that made me immediately uncomfortable uh, and reminded me very much of what uh, WCW booking is trying to do with this Stevie and Booker stuff. Um, there's a sign in the crowd of Stevie Ray holding a pistol that says smoke that fool. And I'm like, oh, no, this is the kind of stuff they're possibly trying to gin up. I didn't see that. Yeah, and I'm, 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 that I'm, I'm glad I didn't. But like, oh, God. Yeah, because you awful. immediately, I think you had some sort of sense memory when we started talking about it mm-hmm. last week when Booker said, we don't want to kill anybody in there. And I had forgotten. But yeah, this is like what uh, appears to be being invoked here. I'm not wild about. Yeah. Like, this is two guys from Texas. I mean, yeah. you know, look where they build them from. Yeah. Oh, well. Um. <laughs> Before, you were gonna b- say yeah, before the match starts, I think it's during Stevie's entrance and uh, our Travis' yeah. entrance. Did you notice that Tony gives a shout out to all the promotion staff? I think Gary Juster is one, um, mm. Gary Michael Capetta might be another one, and yeah, another person, Zane Breslov. The rare Zane Breslov mentioned. Do you know who Zane Breslov is? That is, uh, oh, you've put me on the spot here. Um, do you rec- it's one recognize the-, the name? Obviously, I I absolutely recognize the name. Um, he was is a um was he was he a promoter? Yeah, he was one of the local promoters. He did a lot of the promotion for the big big shows and stuff like that. And um, yeah. he is somebody that they poached now. from the WWF at the behest of Heenan and Mean Gene. Oh yeah, because I just looking him up here, and uh, they're talking about how he was uh, he was promoting WrestleMania three. WrestleMania three is his baby, basically. He's yeah. the, he's the one that filled that well filled, air quotes, that place, mm. and um, yeah. So he he was poached by Bischoff, and he's basically one of the main guys responsible for getting the business back 
in like ni- late 95 well here's one that I've just from looking up his name there that uh, we got from Dave Meltzer a little fact uh, the Mall of America Nitro debut was Zane Breslov's idea that makes sense again up in Minneapolis like up around that, that part of America uh, Dave said Zane Breslov had the idea asked me and I thought an out of the box location was a good idea and he pitched Eric who thought the same so there you I'm, go I'm sure Eric Bischoff supports that theory yeah 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 Eric noted fan of Dave Meltzer <laughs> um, my god from the second the Chavo came out here I was having a very bad time Lee he uh, comes out <sighs> eye rolls fucking eye rolls that's all I did for this he comes out in the rubber ring with a super soaker what a fucking dork and the thing that like throughout this match and then the Eddie match that follows that I was just driving me fucking mad is that the crowd were so into it and it's just something I am not whatever about it it is looking back you know 22 years now I just I, I just can't even begin to get what the, the travel love was about no because uh, he like, like theoretically like of the two for most of the feud anyway yeah Eddie was being booked as the heel but I can't say with any great honesty for the last six weeks plus that Chavo has been booked as a babyface. Chavo's a dickhead, like. <laughs> He's been booked as, like, change the channel heat, like. Yeah, like, uh, people rag on, like, you know, the Misfits in Action era of Chavo. Yeah. I don't want to say this is worse, but it's not fucking far off. No, no. Oh, God, it was really, really poor. And then we have one person who, like, should be named and shamed, who had a Chavo as my favourite wrestler sign. Um, Eddie comes wandering out pretty much straight away and has the scissors on him, presumably to capitalise when uh, when Stevie beats him. Uh, Chavo dedicates the match to Eddie, the little trooper. Uh, Chavo spends, I don't know, a good 30 seconds hot-dogging and grandstanding, which is just, like, really enraging Stevie Ray. Uh, he goes to shake the hand at which point they wrote code of honor um, <laughs> but in the one I think like Chavo's doing a lot of comedy that just for me isn't landing the last month or so but the, this is the one bit I, I have to give it up to whoever came up with this uh, Stevie shakes his hand and he taps out <laughs> um, when we think about the logic of it in a couple of seconds not great but the the uh, like uh, just in isolation the idea like that the dude now he's a, again when you think about the logic that he's a baby face and he's being a chicken shit mm-hmm. by tapping it out tapping out not great but in isolation the idea that to get out of a match to get to the next match that you tap out of a handshake I laughed well here, here's where the logic has to kick in he's the one that challenged Steve Ray to this match yes out of nowhere this is the thing I wrote commentary put Chavo over as being smart here but one, he challenged Stevie Ray to the match. It wasn't like Eddie said, you know, you have to survive Stevie before you get to me. Uh, not only that, but like, this hasn't given him an advantage in any way. The advantage would be Chavo telling Eddie that Eddie has to have a match with Stevie mm-hmm. Ray. You know? Um, I, I just, yeah, like you said, it might be a funny thing in isolation when you think about somebody tapping out of a handshake. I did get a giggle. But as soon as, as you say, the logic has to kick in and you think about the motivation and why it's happening, it's kind of like somebody, an agent, a producer, whatever you want to call them, had the idea for, oh, wouldn't it be funny hand, if someone tapped yeah. out of it? The handshake tapped out. The handshake. Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't want to bother reverse engineering it enough to make sense. Um, To me, it would feel like that should have been the finish of the 
uh, Jericho versus the alleged Rey Mysterio match from Nitro. Yes, I was just about to say that. Jericho is somebody that could have pulled it off. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's a proper feels like a, a Jericho finish. Um, but yeah, then you... then. God bless Mike Tanay because we move on to the the Eddie versus Chavo hair versus hair match, and Tanay is doing the work of ten men mm-hmm. to try and add some sort of context and gravitas to this. I really enjoyed this bit, Lee, where he talks about like um what a hair versus yeah. hair match means culturally to Lucha Libre. Oh yeah, like this is where Tanay just takes over the broadcast, and I love Mike Tanay. The 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 guy like is just. It's cliche, but he's an encyclopedia. The, the man loves wrestling. And yeah. listening to him explain how, like, hair matches in Mexico are more important than title matches almost. Um, like he says, he, he can't recall a match between two people this close ever coming to a hair, a hair match in Mexico. Um, like, he just puts this over as being so enormous and so big. And then, just as I'm starting to get really into, oh, this is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. What happens? Chavo just bites Eddie's arse. Yep. I was just about to get to he, uh, uh, He's explaining all the significance, and it's all so important. And yeah, comedy spots. Yeah, just absolute. Uh, Talk about a contrast just, between what you're hearing and what you're watching. Yeah, and Eddie again, like much like Tanay, is doing his level best to make something out of this, and he is he's selling very well that he's at his wits end, and when he's on offense, uh, he he's really laying it into Chavo, uh, including one point where Chavo gets whipped into the corner, and Eddie hits uh, like a really snug drop kick mm-hmm. into his back. Um, I really like that. Um, I tell you what, there is one good part though. Chavo bites Eddie's arse again. Yeah, and. Heenan's putting it over it's this horrible thing to happen to you and he yeah. says to Shivani have you ever been bitten on the buttocks and Shivani <laughs> kind of ignores him he's like no like uh, obviously not and he goes have you ever bitten somebody on the buttocks <laughs> and with that the three of them just break <laughs> and today is like come on Tony Antrim <laughs> the cl- the, the, they're clearly enjoying their beach holiday here tonight um uh, this is the point in the match now when uh, when Chavo gets start starts getting a bit more into it where I just started tuning it out because I just cannot get into Chavo and I had forgotten that I did this but I just start writing in my notes I'll read word for word what I have written here as Eddie was getting the heat on a man I don't care about I made a roast beef sandwich I would give that sandwich four stars I can- <laughs> I cannot comprehend how people are into Chavo truly a testament to how great Eddie was <laughs> <laughs> then uh, Eddie starts getting back on top and I wrote Eddie hits a massive superplex as I get to the second half of my sandwich <laughs> um, so th- this will tell you how hang like, on I've seen that hunk of beef yeah that was a quality hunk of beef oh yeah kilo and a half my friend it was uh, not in the sandwich but just the, the beef joint I made in general and we should say um, you're the only meat eater in your household yeah, so myself myself, and I couldn't even give it to the dog because I cooked it in onions. So the last De- two or three days I've been trying really hard to get rid of that beef. You definitely didn't do that on purpose or anything. There's still loads of it left and I'm just going to have to throw it out. It's a shame. Uh, I tried my very best. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have one last sandwich before I chuck it uh, later on today. Well, uh, while, we, while you were getting distracted by your, um, by your roast beef, at one point we get a close-up of Dave Penzer's cummerbund. 
yes this is when the uh when they they, they show the clippers like the, yeah the close-up of the clippers and yeah uh, i'll tell you what uh penzer and his amazing technicolor cummerbund here uh hey, hey, just doing some fine work i have a question for you go on what purpose does a cummerbund serve i've never seen one in person i've never seen somebody wear one is it one of those ones that's supposed to like keep someone's gut overhang in i don't know i honestly don't know the that, purpose of a cummerbund that's my guess like i'm not saying a penzer wasn't a particularly heavy set or anything like that but like i'm not sure it could just like is it something I've from never, before again era? i don't yeah i don't know if i've ever seen anyone wear one i've certainly never worn one i've never even worn a tux i don't think um i don't think i've ever worn a tux either yeah so it's described uh as a, a broad waist sash in various designs, including pleats that is worn with double-breasted tailcoats uh, and is now sometimes worn with single-breasted dinner jackets. So it appears to be just, oh, what is the point of a cummerbund? The modern purpose of a cummerbund is to cover the waist. There you are. Um, so it's to draw attention to your waist by not drawing attention to your waist. So apparently one of the guiding, this is so, this is how little we want to talk about Chavo now, but this is actually, I, I've... Oh, come on, I want, I, I want to learn something here, yeah. One of the guiding principles is that the working parts of... This is when you're in black tie. So if you're at a black tie do is when you'd wear a cummerbund. Uh, one of the guiding principles is that the working parts of one one's ensemble must be covered or dressed. So you can't see where like the seams of the, the trousers meeting the shirt or anything like that are. So that must be... That's the... Um, that's the purpose of it to hide the kind of like to kind of break up the separation between shirt and slacks but then, but, the, but then you see the, the meaning of the shirt of the cummerbund luckily I don't think we're going to be the ones to understand fashion <laughs> here um, I, I just but, I just don't see the purpose of them that's all look I, I, I'm marginally more enlightened about it and it's probably I'm not rushing out to cummerbunds or us anytime soon but uh <laughs> It's good to know, isn't it? We're in a, a Days of Thunder, an educational program. Do you think you can get cummerbunds in Ireland? I've, I've, look, I've, do you think maybe do you it's think, maybe it's something to put on the list? We'll we'll do a, we'll, we'll go cummerbund shopping uh, there, if we start running a, out of content. Cummerbund Central, like yeah. <laughs> how, I, I don't even know how much a cummerbund would be. We're getting down a rabbit hole here. Let's get back to the match. Um, this um so as we start getting towards uh, the end here there was a, a couple of moments here that i didn't really care for uh, a bit that i called like a bit of lazy deja vu so we have chavo attempting a frog splash but eddie gets his knees up eddie hits the tornado ddt and then goes for the scissors which robinson takes away then eddie misses a frog splash chavo hits the tornado then he goes for the scissors i just felt that was a bit of kind of right i'm going to do these three things and then you're going to do the same three things. Um, I didn't really like that bit, to be honest. I don't hate it because I think it plays into the fact that Chavo or Eddie is just smarter than Chavo. Yeah, I guess when you look at it that way, maybe it's just because Chavo was doing it. I was like, oh, <laughs> um, but I, but I don't I, like the fact that Eddie just didn't get a clean win over him. Like he didn't like, you know, be him like with, with his finish. It was a fucking roll-up, yeah. and it was just there was no yeah. need for it to be a roll-up. Eddie rolls him up and wins. Uh, then we have, oh, God, this was interminably. Jesus fucking This Christ. went on nearly as long as the fucking main event. Oh, my God. Chavo is refusing to sit down at first. 
uh, to get his head shaved. And then he just starts shaving himself and cackling. And then Eddie bails and I wanted to bail. And like, I just thought this, like the whole, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Then he just starts shaving himself and cackling. W- trust WCW and trust Eric Bischoff to find out a way to give fans what they want while not giving them what they want at the same time. You know, it was a hair versus hair match. Everyone wants to see someone get their head shaved, but you kind of take a lot out of it when the guy is shaving his own hair willingly. You know? Yep. Um, like like, like we said, on, yeah. you have Mike Tanay sitting there explaining the significance and how important hair matches are, and then you get this fucking idiot that voluntarily shaves his own head after losing the match yeah it just you want that dramatic moment you know much as we don't really want to go on about one of the men involved in this one of the great wrestlemania moments is the all-time fit that vince mcmahon had getting his hair shaved Mm -hmm. you know that's what you want you want crying and sobbing and taking a bump out of the chair when he sees his own reflection that's the kind of stuff you want um, Wasn't it Adrian Adonis had to be put asleep at WrestleMania 3? Yeah. You, you either want hilarious comedy where the, the vanquished foe uh, is made to look like, a right hit like Vince McMahon strapped was. down or, or... Yeah, or you want it to be a really dramatic... Like, I don't think in these circumstances mm-hmm. you were ever going to get the dramatic... Like, when somebody loses their hair or their mask in Mexico and there's men, women, and children sobbing in the stands and the family are coming in... Uh, like the two of us recently rewatched uh, La Sombra losing oh, his yeah, mask, yeah. God. and like I was nearly in tears watching that. Uh, so you're probably not going to get that. You'd want to aim more for the comedy. But like, but here's, this, the, here's the thing: Why weren't the Guerrero family there? Yeah, they. I'm sure they could have got one of them in. Do you know what I mean? As a representative of the family, like they could have had. Um, they could have had just had like Mando and the, the mom yeah. and Chavo Senior. There you go. And would it, be, it would have been a cool Chekhov's gun thing to have, like, you know, it could even have been Mondo or somebody, like, and they were uh, holding the clippers yeah. during the match. Do you know? Making it feel like a much more personal thing, and you could have a bit of drama with them handing the clippers over to Eddie, you know, uh, unwillingly at the end and stuff like that. But yeah, this felt like a way to on a very loose technicality yes they gave the fans they promised a head shave and they got a head shave but this is the like the worst and most contrived mm-hmm. way you could probably have of doing that i just did not like it, it and and the shave itself went on for ages yep. Oh, it was, there was a moment where Tony, God bless him, goes, the crowd are stunned. No, Tony, they were bored. (laughs) It had gone on, I think the post-match must have gone on for about five or six minutes. It felt like longer. It was awful. And speaking of awful, next up, uh, Disco with Alex Wright versus Conan, at which point I said, why? Hang on, you, you missed a very WCW bit in between. Go on. Sorry. They do an on-camera piece with the commentators explaining the Jericho Malenko stuff. Yes. And then they just go, oh, that's not Jericho's music. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They thought this was next in the running order, and then it wasn't. Uh, So it turns out this match was literally just thrown on the pay-per-view. Yeah. Just just thrown straight on there with no real reason uh the dancing the dancing fools try their hand at conan's promo which uh was very uh I, 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 that got a rise out of me i'll give them that I, i've said it before but how over is conan's fucking intro oh that other, o- other so, people are already ripping it off like 
Yeah, that they know it's over and that even when the dudes are ripping it off really badly, the crowd are still kind of mm-hmm. into it. Um, I, I love that. I, I love the bit. Um, Alex Ripe cuts a promo in German. Yeah. And Heenan goes, yeah. And Chavani just turns <laughs> him and goes, what do you mean, yeah? Did you understand what he said? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was like, wasn't there a running bit? Was it on um, Was it on SmackDown where there was a running bit that Taz could understand Japanese? Japanese for Funaki, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God bless Taz. Um, so Conan comes out and as excited as the crowd were for the cover version of Conan's promo, no one in this building was more excited tonight than Bobby Heenan to see Conan. Uh, God. Yeah, he, d- he does the woo for the Wolfpack music and then he does a big, here's K-Dog and then woo again. Oh God, Heenan was having a fucking ball. So the Wolfpack are out, and I'll tell you what, one Kevin Nash is in full I oh, don't give a fuck mode. I tweet, He's in like... I tweeted this out. How fucking cool is Kevin Nash? What's he wearing? So he's got like tennis shoes. Uh, is it jorts he's got? No, on no, basketball it's basketball shorts? shorts and like the same material basketball top. It's like a matching shorts and yeah. top out like set. But yeah, I, like he's just going to go shoot hoops at the back of the arena after this. But I was looking, it's not like, it's not FUBU, it's too early for FUBU. But it's one yeah. of these kind of hip kind of like yeah. clothes designers. And he's yeah, got, it's not actually for use in a regulation basketball game. It's like <laughs> basketball chic. like. And he's got the sunglasses and the hair yeah. down. And my God, if you did not want to be Kevin Nash in 1998, you weren't yeah. living. But, like, not only does he come off as cool, but he comes off like he doesn't care about anything. Yeah. Like, he's just here. He's laughing in the back of his head because he's thinking, I'm on pay-per-view. This is how much money I'm earning just to stand around like this in the gear I was already wearing today. And I tell you what, like, when when was the Wolfpack formed? How long ago? About two months. How many matches has Kevin Nash wrestled since? Uh, on the shows we watch... I, I can think of maybe one. Yeah. At a push, he might have done a couple on Nitro. Who knows? And I mean, he was a tag team um, champion throughout all this as well. <laughs> <laughs> all time. All time great worker. Um, what, talking about uh, working the system. Yeah. He's one of those guys where I think people have gone back and forth. And depending on the context and depending on what year it is, you either go, my God, what a politician scumbag Kevin Nash was. And then you turn around and you go, ah, he might actually be the smartest guy in the history of professional yeah. wrestling. It's one, he, it's one of them things where you're just like, ah, it's Nash. I mean, fucking, yeah. you know, you let him away with it. Absolutely rinsed WCW for money for many years. Used the place as his own personal playground cashed out got to go back and do his his uh wwe run got his hall of fame entry and now he just spends his days being woke on twitter and working out don't, and he's absolutely loving life don't forget interjected himself somehow into the storyline in like wrestling at the time to get to yeah. get a couple of pay-per-views over <laughs> amazing with, with the whole i stuck him for triple h yeah yeah <laughs> still would makes you like laugh. to see my text messages <laughs> Still makes me laugh. <laughs> uh but uh this this match kind of until the very end Lee, it was nothing. Nah, there was wasn't, there a, wasn't a match. There there wasn't a match per se until Alex Wright is attacked on the outside and racked by Luger. And something about him just being racked on the outside to the commentators was incredibly devastating. <laughs> I mean he's on the man's shoulders, I mean Yeah. 
it's outside the ring. It's but, so dangerous. Yeah. If that wasn't dangerous enough, Nash oh. nearly murders Disco oh, Inferno with a jackknife power bomb. This jackknife power bomb is a thing of beauty. And this was definitely because, like, it was overkill then for Conan to put him in the tequila sunrise <laughs> and tap him out. But it was definitely, you know, a conversation was had where he's like, bro, I'm not pinning him after your move. I'm putting my move on him and that's how I'm finishing yeah. him. Even though, like, as I said, it was overkill. And I love that Nash Luger and uh, Conan are now just like the three amigos of the Wolfpack. Where yeah. one goes, you see the other two. Yeah, great crack. The lads. Um, next up we have Giant versus Kevin Green uh, Kevin Green starts off this match uh, and they're really I, uh, one thing I do love about it is they really they put over hard this man's uh, shoot sport credentials in the NFL talk about him at the time being the the all time leading sack leader as a linebacker um, was he a, a linebacker yeah Be- better record um, than in, LT yeah uh, so they're putting over that stuff huge. I was talking to a friend of the show, Jack Lazell, about him because he's a big NFL guy. And he was like, yeah, like Kevin Green was unbelievable in his day. Um, So they're, they're putting him over big and it kind of like is hitting home at me. It's like, wow. And I know he's been in WCW before, but it's mad that like this guy is just thrown away mm-hmm. like three or four matches from the top and is not being made nearly as much a big deal as the other two guys, even though really, from what I understand about the man's stature in the game, it's not quite as big a deal as the other two in the main event, but it's a big fucking deal. Ah, this is like a big time NFL player. It's just the fact that if you're not a quarterback in the NFL, you're a nobody. Yeah. And, and um, that's the difference. Um, I'll tell you what though, who would you rather? Kevin Green or Gronk? Oh, Kevin Green all day. Like Kev- Kevin Green has a kind of charisma that isn't mm-hmm. annoying to me. Um, Ke- Ke- and, and Kevin Green pulls off being a wrestler. Yeah, I, like yeah, he he he's a guy. Um, and I kind of uh, look. I'll, I'll talk about it later on in the match. But like his actual natural athleticism really, really impressed me mm-hmm. here, especially compared to some of the bullshit we'd have later on in the night. But uh, he starts off the match ducking and dodging, and then getting in a couple of slaps on the giant. And giant is getting angry, but he's doing the kind of classic giant thing if he can't get his hands on the smaller, quicker man. And then I started to wonder to myself, like I was thinking about, it, like between Kevin Green here and years and years later on WrestleMania, the Big Show lining up against Floyd Mayweather, I started to wonder, like it. If, if Giant is one of those guys where like one of the roles he's really good at is you put a legit sports star against him and he can tell a good story with him and I was just buying into that narrative that my head had pulled together and then I remembered Aki Bono ah you can't you can't fucking do Aki Bono <laughs> yeah I mean oh, yeah. you have to wear a fucking it diaper was, to do that match yeah there was a lot of things working against him on that one but like remember how great that Floyd Mayweather oh, feud God, was it was amazing that's and do you remember like where, they tried to make he... Floyd Mayweather the baby face of all that? Oh, yeah, but like that spot where like Big Show gets is like gets legitimately rocked by the punch and chases all his guys who like fall over the barricades trying to get mm-hmm. away from the angry giant. Oh, I honestly believe so if good. if Big Show had got his hands on Mayweather after those couple of punches, he would have ordered him. Yeah. Like fucking professionalism, be damned. Yeah, Giant eventually gets his man here and drops him before uh, going to work. Uh, Brain says something to the effect of, boy, I bet you wish you were back on the bench now, huh? And Tony was absolutely appalled by this. <laughs> <He was> disgusted. <laughs> this man is the all-time leading sack leader as a linebacker. Like, he's going mad. This man does not sit on a bench. <laughs> what are you talking about, Bobby? Like, he was just, he was disgusted. And, like, 
throughout like this oh, look i'm not saying this match was like a match of the year candidate or something like that but like if you watch kevin green in this match compared to like other football people we've seen uh that are coming in like i'm thinking mongo in particular but there are other sports stars and football players that have come in the natural athleticism and awareness of kevin green and his physicality he feels like that kind of athlete that if he had gone actually full-time in to wrestling instead of the NFL, he probably would have been pretty good. Oh, this this man could have been, like, a, a full-time roster member, like, if he had dedicated yeah. himself to training a bit, little, bit, little bit more. um, Like, he does, I know Shelton Benjamin does the hop up to the top rope yeah, and balances himself. Kevin Green runs and leaps onto the middle rope and Gets his balance without using his hands yeah. twice in a row. Yeah, yeah. Like literally one after the other. Yeah, and and then he hits like a, a point at which I lost my mind. Is like he hit like a diving European uppercut off the top <laughs> rope, and I was like, "Fucking Cesaro would be in tears at like, the quality of that uppercut." Ha- have you ever been in a wrestling ring? Uh, yes, once or twice. Okay. Have you ever tried standing on the ropes in a wrestling ring? Uh, it's much tougher than you would think. It's incredibly difficult. It yeah. Uh, I would definitely be more comfortable on Brett's rope than I would be on the top <laughs> rope. That's for sure. But like, it's it's that, like, that, that, like you say, natural athleticism, that, that natural fucking, that thing that sports people just seem to have, where they can just, the best ones can just throw their hand at anything and be good at it. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, does that same level of quality not keep up for the rest of the night with the shoot sports stars. But he, he hits a diving European uppercut, and then he starts going to football tackles. And they don't look great. They look a damn sight better than Mongo's, but they don't look great. Um, and then uh, what I, a, a clever finish to this is like he starts kind of like feeling his oats a little bit too much. And he's he's enjoying doing the football tackles, but he goes to the well one too many times, Lee. And he goes full three-point stance and runs directly into a choke slam. And I like that. It's like the moment uh, he started relying on his non-pro wrestling stuff and thinking he had the better of the pro wrestler, that's when he got caught mm-hmm. by the ring, the comparative ring veteran. And I like that little bit of storytelling there. This was a good match. Well, I, I totally enjoyed this. And... Do you know what? The celebrity did a clean fucking job. Yeah, no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, again, like I said, it wasn't a Mac classic, but it had a story to tell, and I think it's it told it quite well. And the bar for Kevin Green was low, and I think he he overachieved mm-hmm. for um, sure. So fair play. Um, then we have Hennig chatting to Lee in what is this time referred to as the internet position saying that he knows what it takes to beat Goldberg, and like Lee uh, Marshall is like constantly needed on him to ask about tell me tell tell me what it is yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, and all he can get out of him basically is like i have expertise and he doesn't uh that's that's about as much as he can get i think he says he has more heart as well at one point yeah yeah it's it comes down to what's in here and he's tapping his chest yeah um i I thought this was a good little segment because it gives like um it's that kind of cocky thing it's like well i'm not going to tell you my evil plan (laughs) <laughs> you know that's what it felt I, I think like it proves we should get more Lee on the show as well definitely uh, flashback to the, the the stuff with Jericho uh, costing Malenko against Stevie Ray and him snapping uh, I, I I had missed when we watched this the bit where Malenko tears out a chunk of Jericho's hair and Larry Zabisco goes give it to me <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that yeah oh that's good stuff love larry um what i should clarify at this point i didn't realize i don't think we pointed out on nights of nitro but yes 
Malenko lost. He is currently our martial arts division champion. But because it did not happen on Thunder or a pay-per-view, it was not a sanctioned martial arts division title match. Okay, you didn't clear that one with me, but okay, I'll stand over that. Yeah, well, it's Days of Thunder, mate. You know, uh, if it happens on Nitro, it's not a, you know, it's not a canon linear martial arts division title because I don't want to have to start reading up what's happening on Nitro as we aren't watching. I, w- I will say he has not defended his title also, in a long time. Oh, you're thinking of introducing a 30-day rule, are you? Mm. Because he has, he won it uh, on the 17th of May and it's currently the 12th of July yeah. in our timeline. So are you thinking about, we, we may have to chat. Well, actually, do you know what? Listeners, go to at WCW Thunderpod and, and uh, tell us if you think uh, Commissioner Lee Malone should strip Dean Malenko of the linear martial arts division title. I don't, I, I think a martial arts division title needs to be won and lost in the ring, but, you know, Lee has put it out there, so let's hear what the Thunder Buddies Listen, think. I am WCW Thunderpod. WCW Thunderpods. Days of Thunder <laughs> podcast. <laughs> you fucking threw me off there. Days of Thunder's commissioner when it comes to these things. You are continuity. Man. I am. I need my bit of power. I think I should be allowed to strip the man and pick two new <laughs> contenders to battle it out to be the new champion. Oh, okay. Well, get back to us on that, ladies and gentlemen. It'll be, you'll have a good kind of, uh, from the time this comes out, you'll have two weeks to tweet us uh, at WCW Thunderpod before we get to our next episode of Thunder uh, in the timeline, because we'll be doing a Pick Your Poison next week, which I will reveal the wrestler for at the end of the show, by the way. Um, But yeah, uh, let us know what you think, and we'll go with the majority on it. Uh, We might even drop a poll uh, the night we are going to record our next show and see what... What comes Or else I'll just decide um, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> a wanton abuse of power. <laughs> uh, Jericho is out with a top hat and cane. And I was like, oh my God, he's actually going to dance. Do a yeah, soft I shirt. thought he was going to do it. And then Tony calls him the biggest jerk in WCW, which, which got a huge pop. I'll tell you what, con- considering we've seen them on commentary together on AEW just this yeah. past week, how yes. great is it hearing these two just fucking rip into each other any chance they get uh, tw- like two decades later and I will always laugh at Ski of Own mm-hmm. it's um, it, it, it's a great dynamic I love it um, so he buries Stinko Malinko and attempts to do his soft shoe routine uh, JJ comes out and he's appalled at why Jojo is here he said it's terrible that we've had to disappoint Jericho's fans and Jericho is inclined to agree uh, JJ says there's this local guy uh, he hasn't wrestled in about six months or so he's a bit rusty but it's up to Jericho if he wants to Jericho says can it be no no DQ a little in- was it like a little indie guy he said or yeah it was like, like that? A, just some little indie local guy he's like yeah he hasn't wrestled yeah, in a while San Diego hasn't wrestled in six months and he says okay bring the little jobber out here and then as JJ's about to he just screams Chris Jericho equals buy rate <laughs> God, God, then, God bless Chris Jericho he gets us through these shows he's so good and speaking of so good uh, it's not going to be much of a surprise considering the way this segment had been going but look at it look at Raymond Stereo is back <laughs> it's Ray versus Jericho for the Cruiserweight title and I'll tell you Ray is looking hench. He is, and I'll tell you what, he's got a big-ass fucking knee brace. Yeah. Was this the... Was this either just the first knee injury, or was this the one where he was famously told if you jumped off a curb, you could break your leg? 
Was that this injury or was it the next knee? I think knee it was the next knee. Wasn't it his right knee that he was told that? Ah, yeah. But he is wearing the big, like, the kind of size of knee brace he'd associate with Stone mm-hmm. Cold a couple of years later. Um, Absolutely massive thing that does play into the match. Uh, he comes out and he's running wild on Jericho. The, the commentators are raving about his physique here. Spills to the outside. Uh... <laughs> Uh, Ray does a head scissors throwing Jericho into the poor barricades who had had a couple of <laughs> matches of respite and then are back in use. Um, and then kind of once they get back into the ring, Jericho goes to work on the knee. Um, Jericho at one point tries to get away uh, from Ray. He kind of like does the chicken shit heel thing of like, oh, fuck this. No, I'm out of here. And Ray runs after him, jumps on him at the set and thus unfolds. Um, one of the golden rules of wrestling it's kind of like the whole if there's a cake someone has to go into it if there's like a body of water somebody has to be thrown into it if there's a special novelty set somebody has to do spots off it um and this is where we get that um so (laughs) ray jumps him up at the set and jericho tries to climb the deck chair which wouldn't really get him away from Ray. It would just get him slightly elevated. The thing was, what, what would be like eight or ten feet in the air? Didn't about ten foot high, yeah. He's just, it's that classic heel thing of, oh, I just need to get away for a minute. Yeah, he's not thinking about it. He tries to get away, ends up getting thrown into the sand. Ray jumps from the chair himself with a Hurricane Rana that I, I oh, I groaned at because he, he does the Hurricane Rana and he pretty much takes the whole thing onto his shoulder, which looked like it sucked yeah Ray, Ray um, spikes himself doing the rana yeah. into the sand and like I don't know if you've ever fallen on packed sand uh, yeah it's not great it doesn't it? budge it, 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 yeah you, you, you think it's going to be a soft landing and it's not so much um, but yeah it's one of those things where I think because it was an, uh, not a level surface and he was uh, hurricane running uh, Jericho off the sand uh, that they didn't really judge where where the levels were, and yeah, and yeah, yeah, and he he took it hard mm-hmm. on his shoulder. Um, so then he throws sand in Jericho's eye, back in the ring, and a crossbody reversal nearly gives Jericho a three count. Uh, uh, top row power slam from Jericho, who then grabs a chair and absolutely batters it off Ray's knee. Uh, then he goes to pilmanize the leg. Ray rolls out of the way and. Ray lit up Jericho with a few chair shots to the leg. I mean, if you didn't know any better, you'd say these two guys didn't like each other. Because he yeah. fucking attacks that leg with fucking gusto. <laughs> yeah, and then, it, like, he so he hits him with a chair shot, he kicks him in the leg, and then he drop kicks the chair into his leg. Um, they do a, an attempted springboard reversal into a lion tamer. It's a little bit sloppy, mm-hmm. and Ray gets to the ropes. Uh, Malenko comes out wearing his merch, and my God, that Malenko t-shirt is shite. I called it creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it just says, like, was it? It just says Malenko, yeah. and, it's, and it's his cold, dead eyes. But it's like, it's even a really bad, like, I suppose for 1998, it was probably the style at the time. Um, <laughs> now you sound it, like Grandpa Simpson. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm going for. Um, <laughs> chased them, but gave up after dickety six miles. Um, yeah, it's just a terribly, like, uh, put together t-shirt. I'll tell you like what, I could see somebody selling that t-shirt, but changing the name underneath to a certain other horseman. Yeah, oof. Um... 
Malen goes out in a shy t-shirt. The distraction causes Jericho to get rolled up and Ray is your new cruiserweight champion. Jericho tries to flee backstage and in one of my bigger pops of the night, he goes through the... He goes true to the back, and who is there to stand in front of him? Only Arn Anderson. And I was begging for a spine buster, <laughs> but Malenko catches on up. On the floor. <laughs> yeah, I was begging for it. Or onto, like, you know those, like, gear boxes that are always backstage that Arn didn't have to take a bump or something? Um, but Malenko attacks. Uh, <laughs> I, li- I like the like as- little hint. Yeah. Did you enjoy uh, Brain's line as they transitioned out of this to the next segment? Did you hear no, what he said? what did he say? He goes, uh, they're talking about the, the set and uh, Brain just goes, uh, who knows what's buried under that sand? Maybe Hoffa. Oh, <laughs> oh God, there's only one Brain. That That's why he's the best uh, yeah. ever. Next up, we have Brett versus Booker T for the TV title. And I wrote that Brett, uh, sorry, Booker had his work cut out for him here against the shadow of Bret Hart. Uh, the story of the match being that Brett is uh, is pissed off and he's kind of a little bit taken aback by how good and intense Booker is and how he's keeping pace with him. I will say, Lee, much as we do like to give him shtick on this show, this probably the best Brett we've seen so far. Oh, yeah, because it's an actual wrestling match and he seemed to be engaged by what was going on. Um, yeah. but- and I mean, if you're somebody who has a grow, like I know he's kind of lost a lot of his passion for the wrestling, lost his smile, ironically enough, but... I imagine if you're a guy who treats wrestling as seriously to a fault as Bret Hart does, you would relish being in there with a young, hungry guy as good as Booker T was in 98. Oh, yeah. This like this is the type of match that you could see Bret asking for. Like, I know later in the year, he's the one that asked for the Benoit match mm. on the uh, own show, or the, the show in Kansas. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah... Um, like I didn't really like I know we haven't really seen much of the storyline on Thunder have we no not really like we've seen the Booker side of it because him and Stevie Mm. keep talking about Brett but we haven't actually seen much of Brett himself as part of the storyline Brett seems to be like almost like a uh, exclusively on Nitro at this point I think the last time we saw Brett on Thunder was was when he showed up (laughs) Yeah, when he got out of the limo, or when they showed, uh, do you remember they they cut back to Nitro and he was sitting in a skybox with Liz, who oh, we yeah, also yeah, had yeah. thought had vanished. Um, yeah, oh, sorry, yawning. Um, yeah, no, tonight. Oh, Brett's not that oh, bad. God. Well, <laughs> um, tonight is kind of putting over Brett as this like manas- master manipulator, and I'm like, yeah, it, is he? Is that what the story is about? Like he's manipulating Booker. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that one. Like, I, I think it was good when they started striking the tone of uh, pointing out Brett mean streak. I thought it was mm. good, but the, the manipulator thing didn't really land for me. Um, The bit I liked the best about talking about Brett's mean streak was uh he does a point now where he, uh, they're outside the ring and he picks up Booker and runs his mm-hmm. back into the post. And Brain and Tanae not only put over how mean and how aggressive Brett is being, but they actually talk about the logic of it and about how it's an incredibly painful, like, to get slammed into the ring post. And what else does the ring post do when you hit it with your back? But it sets up the sharpshooter. Yeah, that, that that's Perfect. a great little, little bit. And I think Brain really tried with this match to put over Brett. Like, obviously, yeah. I'd imagine they got along well and Brain, like, seemed to, like... Like, this is the era where Brain is tr- still trying, so it's not that kind of uncommon for him, but, like, he really did, 
de- uh, really does put over Brett strongly in this match. Like the whole thing of working over the legs, working over the back, and it's just constantly playing into the sharpshooter. Yeah, I like it, and I love as well that um, something I noticed that that Brett is doing when he's not doing the super aggressive stuff. He's doing that old territory heel tactic of he's just killing the pace mm-hmm. of the match. Because what everybody loves about a Booker T match is that it's quick. He's hitting big moves. He's hitting his high spots. He's going up on the top rope. And Brett is just slowing it down. And because he slowed it down, when Booker fires up, I think the crowd buy in even more. You know? Yeah. Um they're getting really into all right okay now we're rolling sort of thing it's one of the things that it was a very marmite run but it's one of the things that when the matches were good i really liked about say bobby rude's nxt run because that's the kind of thing he was doing at its worst it was he was mini triple h and no one and no one liked it but in the matches that i enjoyed of his i think his first match against nakamura was one where he was slowing down the pace people just wanted the nakamura high spots and he was denying Mm -hmm. them for so long that the crowd were just shitting on him and that's the kind of like i like that kind of psychology myself oh yeah that that's like that's perfect heel psychology that that's exactly what um brett was doing here um i loved Booker goes for, after being worked over for a prolonged period, Booker goes for that, um, you know, the corner roll-up he does. Yeah. And he fucks it up. And Brain instantly goes, see, his back is his back is injured, his legs, he can't get his legs around. And he just covers for it perfectly. And you're just like, well, yeah, obviously his, his back has been worked over. He wouldn't be able to do this properly. That's like a big, yeah, big athletic sense. move. You know, it's a lot of movement. It's mm. a lot of fucking quick stuff to happen. And it's just... Like I say, Brain, I thought, really tried on this match to get both guys over. Yeah, uh, God bless him. Booker attempts uh, a corner dodge into roll-up mm-hmm. that doesn't go too well. Booker eventually gets the missile dropkick, but the, the wily vet gets a foot on the rope, showing that ring presence. Uh, he always knows where the ropes are. Uh, Booker goes to dive in on him, and Brett <laughs> absolutely <laughs> wipes him out with a chair. <laughs> I know the one everyone remembers is the Jericho Benoit plancha yeah. into a chair. Yeah, this one was pretty fucking wild. <laughs> it was, yeah, he was swinging for the fences here. Um, Let's make it make Brett it real. Goes, <laughs> yeah, Brett then goes to work on the leg in particular with the chair. Then he does the figure four on the post spot, which I always think is cool. Oh, yeah, great move. Um, Stevie is finally here, but in something that the commentary does point out, he's not in any great rush. You're um, saying Stevie is coming here. out? It goes on for a good while. I want to say he hasn't been the figure four for about a minute, which, yeah, which well, doesn't. I, it feels like it doesn't sound like a long time. Yeah, it it feels like the mo the time in between them clocking that Stevie Ray had come out and Stevie Ray actually showing up on camera was about thirty mm. seconds, and the the figure four had already been in before that. Um, so yeah, he, once he gets around, Brett just kind of uh, backs off. He leaves. Uh, Stevie Ray like is shouting for the medical help to go away and says that he'll take care of him and Booker hobbles out with Stevie who's just shaking his head disapprovingly the whole time um, I think this is the best Brett we've yeah. seen so far this is good a good addition from Booker and um, you know I'm not wild about the prolonged Stevie Ray feud on the horizon but um, I think this jo- this match had a purpose to serve and I think it served it quite well yeah, like th- this is the best Brett we've seen, and more importantly, Booker was in there with one of the biggest stars in the company, and he did not look out of place at all. Nope. 
Uh, flashback to the Georgia Dome before we head into Hennig versus Goldberg for the WCW title. Michael Buffer here to snooze through another paycheck. Absolute spoofer. Um, <laughs> if there's one thing we have, we've discovered on this show, it's that Michael Buffer, above anyone else in this company, robbed a fucking living. I get well. I don't know. There's there's at least three men who rob a living in the next match um, that we'll talk about. But yeah, uh, in terms of somebody reliably showing up and being absolutely shite, Michael Buffer. When you have Penzer, when you have Capetta, um, when you find out a couple of years later that Michael Buffer wasn't even the best announcer whose surname was Buffer, it, it makes you really kind of think about it. Um, Goldberg comes out here and has a bloody head. Uh, before anything happens in this match, which Mike Tanay attributes to his uh, pre-match tradition of headbutting steel lockers. <laughs> and like, I know, Lee, that the idea is it's to make Goldberg sound tough that he's headbutting steel lockers backstage. But to be honest to me, this made him sound like a goof. Yeah, and I mean, like, what fucking idiot headbutts a steel locker? Like, <laughs> Do you know what gets me amped up for a wrestling match? A mild concussion. <laughs> <laughs> hitting myself harder than anyone else will yeah. oh it's like um, and do you, know, do you know what I fucking hated on this entrance Goldberg comes out no US belt yeah yeah, yeah. now they've already they had teased on our go home thunder as we were talking about two weeks ago uh, they had teased that like they're gonna take the title off him uh, JJ said that they were in a meeting uh, to discuss what the fate of the US title would be, but yeah, you gotta have them come out with the belt. Give, give them one here. show with fucking boat belts, like yeah. What I what I do like though is uh, the commentary putting over the look of that belt, the big gold belt around his waist, and t- uh, said brain, and and I think Tony said something like it feels mm-hmm. right or it looks good on him or something like that. Just putting over your new star and how satisfied uh, the the announcers were with him. Um, I enjoyed the little kind of subtle work here from Hennig at the t- at the start. Hennig is obviously thinking about employing his game plan, but Goldberg is easily tossing him over, and Hennig is getting annoyed. Um, unusual bit of miscommunication where Goldberg tries his roll into a mm-hmm. knee bar that he does a lot, um, and it just really fucks up and Hennig just rolls out away from it I they did like I did bother. like that Henning just rolled out he didn't wait for Goldberg to kind of reposition like that, that yeah that, it would have looked worse experience that Henning has he's like right the spot is blown roll out take take a breath um, yeah. I tell you what the first bump in the match though yeah talk us through Goldberg <laughs> uh, throws Henning into the ropes runs at him hits a shoulder yeah and Kurt Henning must do about fucking four somersaults in the air before coming down <laughs> and I have never seen somebody take a bump off a fucking shoulder block like this I, I want somebody uh, to gift this and I want to send it to Charlie Sterling <laughs> and let him know uh, yeah it's it's great stuff I love Kurt Hennig so much um, Hennig is fighting off Goldberg to no avail Um Hennig is up top and Goldberg grabs him. There's a, a hairy half second here where he nearly loses mm-hmm. him on the gorilla press, but then successfully slams him. Uh, Hennig attempts to work the leg to take away the vertical base from Goldberg. He goes for the Hennig plex, which obviously as well, you're working mm-hmm. the leg, it's going to weaken your ability to kick out. Goes for the Hennig plex, two count, a massive clothesline from Goldberg when they get up, uh, kills him with a spear, jackhammer, three count. Um, you know, I would have liked to see what Hennig could have done with a slightly longer match with him but you know 
it it again it did the job i think this was the perfect first pay-per-view for goldberg because henning has that name recognition he kind of got a bit more offense than you'd normally see somebody get against goldberg he worked the leg which we haven't really seen anyone do and yet goldberg just overcame all of it he fucking beat him with the spear jackhammer that was it that's what people paid to see i thought this was pretty fucking flawless in its execution as a package yeah. uh yeah yeah like i think it's just the kind of it's just the the indulgent part of me would like to have seen this especially when we see where the rest of the show goes i would have liked to seen this go on a little bit longer just for my benefit oh look i wish this um, was the main event my <laughs> god lee so much oh right look we've we've uh we've waited long enough it's time we have a video package for the main event with incredibly dramatic music. I think it's the same video package we saw on the close of Thunder yeah, the other week. And then we have it. It's Hogan and Rodman with the Disciple versus DDP and Malone. Dave, how so, long was left on the pay-per-view when, when that video package started? 40 minutes, Lee. <laughs> Dave, why did this match go 40 minutes? Yeah, because this is the thing as well. Um... I, I didn't want to give you any false hope because you asked me uh, if it was a mistake that there was 40 minutes left and I, said, I wish it was pal um, and not only that but like the post match is so short that like most of this 40 minutes is eaten up by the entrances and what I suppose you could loosely term as a match here why um, why did this need to be 40 minutes in retrospect it's particularly hilarious that Michael Buffer hypes this up as more important than any championship in wrestling I wonder who fed him that line um, I what? wonder who fed him. Oh. Yeah, easy no doubt. Um, he also has a line in here when uh, DDP and Malone come out about... It was just an awkward, ham-fisted line to say that they're not with the NWO. What is it? Two men who align themselves with no affiliations or organizations. Which is such a, like a... Like, it's like something you tick on a form or something like that. Are you affiliated with any... Like... What are you talking about? I literally wrote fuck off, Listen, lad. they're independent contractors. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, Lee, I, it feels funny now that I've... With what follows it, that I complained about this part of the match in my in my notes. But how interminable was all the stalling at the start? I just have one note. So much stalling. Just it fucking went on and on and yeah. on. I was... I was shouting at the TV, just do something. And then when they started doing things, I regretted it. And I missed the time where they were doing nothing, to be honest. I was kind of hoping that it might be like, what was that, um, the, the Goshiyazaki match? Oh, the, the 32 minute stare down, like. <laughs> yeah, in, in hindsight, that would have been better. If the four men just stood there staring at each other, you know, backing up and doing nothing for ages. I think if yeah. he wasn't doing anything, Rodman may just have fallen asleep. Because yeah. that's the level of investment that man had in this match. I am not entirely sure that he wasn't asleep for most of this match, as was. Um, there's a test of strength offer from Carl Malone, which Hogan balks at. Uh, and that's still... Then they go back to more stalling. Uh, we, have Ho- we have Malone, who repeats his clothesline and scoop slam spot on Hogan. Um, and when they did that I'm just like god like much as it got a pop on Nitro when he did it it would have been so much more impactful if they had left mm-hmm. 
Carl Malone not doing any wrestling spots until yeah, this if match. If he hadn't have locked you up know, with Hogan on Nitro. Yeah, if there if there had been a question hanging over the matches, like, oh, Carl Malone, like, you know, Dennis Rodman's been here before in a WCW ring, but we, we don't know. Carl Malone is an unknown quantity. And then he gets in there and just does the thing he already did. You know, it doesn't feel like it has um, much impact and to it. Do you know what? what? Like, it's not brought up, but, like, this is kind of important. Six days before this match, Hulk Hogan yeah. is supposedly the best wrestler in the world. He is the world heavyweight champion. Yeah, and he was, I, I think, at best, the third worst guy in this match. <laughs> yeah, like, I... Because I think Malone, obviously, like, he's better as a wrestler than than Carl mm. Malone, but I think Carl Malone gets more out of the crowd in this match. Yeah, like, I honestly think the only offense Hogan had in this match was to choke people. Yeah. All he did yeah. was choke. Yeah. And this match itself did indeed <sighs> choke, so it's quite appropriate. Um, Rodman and DDP get in, which we now have the context from the documentary that the two of them weren't exactly on the same page here because it really does look like they just start scrapping. Yeah, we did see it in the pay-per-view, but like, there's a good like two, three minutes of these two just falling over each other. Yeah, and it's great because about 90 seconds into this little scrap between the two of them, Rodman is already gassed. Oh, that man had... Like, this guy... He had to be sweating fucking buckets in the t-shirts, the jeans, the fucking do-rag that stayed on for the whole match. Well, this is it, yeah. So he came out and he's wearing the do-rag, the jeans, uh, the t-shirt, and there's a bit in the documentary we talked about last week on our mini-episode where he wouldn't take off the t-shirt, and he was saying it's because he wanted to hock the t-shirt. Everyone else was saying it's because he was so out of shape. It's great, and, like, we also know the context that he'd been up drinking until the wee hours the night before and was in a really bad way. He he was he said he was still drunk until about 20 minutes yeah. in when Paige hit him one. Um, but he... Like, the other thing about this is, I couldn't believe how quickly this man got gassed, seeing as I think it was, what, like, was it a month before he'd been in the NBA Finals? I think it was less than that. I think it was, like, two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. Now, I know I was talking to, um, I was talking to, again, American sports correspondent Jack Lazell about this one, <laughs> uh, and he was saying, he does recommend, by the way, the Rodman 30 for 30 ESPN documentary, which I think I saw a long time I have, ago. I haven't I, seen I it yet, watch. but you know what I am going to watch? What? The Chicago Bulls series on Netflix. Oh my God, I'm yeah. so excited I think for that. I'm so I think excited it starts, for that. Is that. I think next it's next week? week it starts. Next Monday it starts on uh, oh, yes. Netflix and UK. Doing, and they're doing two episodes mm-hmm. a week for like... I think it's, I think it's yeah, 10 episodes, I think. Because... That's for like there was a little bit of a like a little bit of a spike in popularity for basketball mm-hmm. here around the time we would have been kind of like kids or teenagers, but like in the grand scheme of things, the only like basketball that really transcended across the Atlantic to non Space Jam was Space Jam and specifically the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. Like even without Space Jam, I knew who Michael Jordan was. And because, like, when I was a little bit older then, because of his hijinks, I knew who Dennis Rodman was. Um, But, yeah, the Chicago Bulls and, yeah, Space Jam is part of the reason that, like, they just kind of transcended the the Mm -hmm. sport. Um, So there was an awareness of who he was. But, God, like, Rodman having been in an NBA final, like, uh, Jack was telling me that he was definitely very much a guy who was, uh, as JR would say, all sizzle and no steak. Like, he had an enormous amount of natural talent, Dennis Rodman. 
but and could have been as good as a player as there ever was had he applied himself but he just sat back on his natural talent and never worked as hard as a lot of his peers, which is kind of part of the narrative between him mm-hmm. and Malone as a Malone is a guy who obviously you look at the guy, he looks like he's cut from fucking marble. Like he was a supreme athlete. Uh, and the fact that fucking Dennis Rodman won two straight NBA finals against him. Now, obviously he was part of the Bulls and uh, uh, that Salt Lake team were nearly, or Utah Jazz were nearly as good as uh, as the, the generation defining Bulls team. But, uh, yeah, just, like, him getting so gassed, and I know professional wrestling is a surprising, would surprise people how cardio intense it is, and even athletes do get blown up quicker than they think they will sometimes when they do professional wrestling, but still, it was, this was, like, 90 seconds of just, like, cat fighting mm-hmm. with DDP, and he was, he was gone, and he, like, he never recovered. Yeah, no, he, he's literally blowing it out of his ass, like, for most of this match. <laughs> yeah, and... and it was at this point where I thought we were about four hours into the match and I looked at the watch and there was still 23 minutes left. Okay, I made it longer than you, probably because I was on Twitter at the same time. But at one point I was like, oh God, it, it has to nearly be over. And I checked, I paused it and you know the time bar comes up and there was yeah. still 17 and a half minutes left and I just, I almost cried. Oh. Yeah. I just, this sucks. Rodman holds up Malone so they go to the spot where Rodman holds Malone's arms back and Hogan goes to Mm -hmm. hit him and Rodman stumbles and falls over on his arse as well which is just it was just fucking embarrassing like uh, Rodman Karl Malone is the face in peril for most of this match yeah and like he's not great but like at least you know he looks like he's trying and and not embarrassing himself yeah and this is my point he's not awful as the face in peril that it, to me, it's not a great idea to have the celebrity work most of the match. But then you have Hogan and Rodman, like you say, just fucking tumbling over themselves, not doing anything at all. The crowd are fucking dead for most of it. Yeah. I think there's a point here where after Rodman falls over on that spot, and like, I mean, he completely hits the deck mm-hmm. here. Um, I think there was a there. There seems to be like a bit of a glance between Hogan and Paige where they finally it dawns on them what they're dealing with here, uh, and there's a couple of minutes where they take over just to spare us all the fate of more Malone and Rodman interacting with each other. Um, and then I looked at my watch again. I wrote 14 minutes left. Ye gods. Um, Paige and Hogan do look kind of fed up in the closing mm-hmm. stages of this match. Like, even Hogan, who knows how much of a payday this is, is like, my God, this is like... I, I, I think everybody knew in the ring how awful this was at the time. And they look like... The, the two actual wrestlers in here look like they wanted it just to be well, over. you mentioned it there. Just how much of a payday this was for Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I am currently rereading the... Uh, Nitro book, which is fucking essential reading for any WCW fan. Mm-hmm. And I sent you uh, an excerpt of what I was reading. And it's Terry Bollea's WCW contract that he signed. I want to say a couple of weeks, maybe two weeks before the Georgia Dome match with Goldberg. Yeah. And my God. Will I, will I read out the whole bit or... Please, okay, please so do, yeah. 
I think this is an interesting bit of, bit of history here. So this is the the whole excerpt on his on his contract in Nitro book. So in consideration of Bolea's performance here under WCW shall pay Bolea a bonus in the amount of two million dollars to be paid within fourteen days after Bolea's execution and delivery of this letter of agreement. So that's two million dollars for signing the contract. In consideration of Bolea's participation in pay per views, WCW shall compensate Bolea the greater of 15% of domestic cable sales received by WCW for each event are $675,000 guarantee payment per event. So either he gets £675,000 or if the pay-per-view grosses more than that, he gets 15% of the gross. Unbelievable. Uh, during years 1 through 3 of this agreement... Bolea shall promote, appear, wrestle, and perform at WCW and WCW or WCW Nitro and WCW Thunder events. In consideration of Bolea's participation in any such events, WCW shall pay Bolea twenty-five percent of the after-tax arena ticket revenues for each WCW Nitro or Thunder in which he appears and wrestles. However, in no event will Bolea's compensation be less than. $25,000 per event. Unbelievable. And there's still more. Bolea shall receive 50% of net receipts as defined herein received by WCW on all merchandise sold directly by WCW to any consumer incorporating Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hogan or Bolea's name, likeness or character. So that's 50% of anything. During the period in which Bollea is a member of the NWO, Bollea will receive a promotional fee for promoting the NWO, wearing the name while wrestling, on air, in photo shoots, etc., of $20,000 per month. Should WCW create a 900 call-in line featuring Hulk Hogan or Hollywood Hogan, and should Bollea be available to provide recordings for said 900 line, Bolea shall receive 100% of WCW's net revenues from Bolea's features on such hotline. When required to travel for WCW, as contemplated hereunder, Bolea, Bolea will receive first-class air travel, first-class hotel accommodation, limousine transportation, and $175 per DM. Bolea shall have approval over the outcome of all wrestling matches in which he appears, wrestles, and performs. Such approval not to be unreasonably withheld. Ah, uh, like, is it any wonder what happened to that company? <laughs> so it's not only matches in which he wrestles. If he does a run in, he can fucking change the finish. Just. He, this man is getting millions and he's still getting $175 a day for showing up. You just gotta throw, like, the ultimate politician in the history of the industry. Like, my God. How did, how did professional like, companies sign off on that contract? How can anybody, even Hogan, be worth that money? And, and that amount of influence over your and, company? It's And bear shocking. in mind... WWF had no interest in bringing him back at this stage. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Like, where was he going to go? Back to Pastamania? 
<laughs> like, uh, uh, all right, I'm saying they had no interest. Vince would have brought him back. He was not bringing them back on terms anywhere close to that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, they could have just offered him like a re- like a standard really good deal. Your standard rich and famous contract, as the Muppets would say. Um. They didn't have to go this far necessarily, but they just they, like again with Bischoff being his boy, they just like they gave him whatever the fuck he wanted and then some. Um. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, back to this match unfortunately and DDP finally tags in Malone who hits what I would say are marginally improved clotheslines from his initial couple of efforts on Nitro um, he slams Rodzilla this time which got a really big reaction Malone hits the biggest big boot on earth on Hogan uh, Malone tags in Page he hits a diamond cutter on Hogan Rodman has to be reminded to break up the pin <laughs> He gets roared at by the ref. Uh, Malone hits him with the diamond cutter. And then in just an embarrassing moment, Malone hits uh, Rodman with the diamond cutter and attempts to pin him, even though neither man is legal. Um, It's it's WCW, so, you know, you never know. But Charles Charles Robinson is clearly shouting at them about why they can't pin each other at this time. Um, The Disciple is in. Hogan pins DDP. Uh, Malone then diamond cutters the ref as the NWO celebrate. This was the single worst match we have ever covered on this program. It's not even fucking close. I hated every fucking second of it start to finish. I was regretting my choices in life that led me to doing this program and being forced to watch this at three in the Jesus morning. I was watching this, losing my fucking reason. Now, of course, the hour at night was my fault. But fucking hell, I was like, I, when I, by the time I realized how long this was going to go on for, it was too late. And I was like, right, I'm committed now, because if I stop this, I'm just going to quit the podcast. I need to finish this match now, because I will never go back to it. And it was, it got, was it, I looked it up, um, well, Jack helped me look it up. It got uh, minus one and three quarter stars from Dave, which I think was being fucking generous, to be honest with you. Um, it would have been it kind of reminded me like it's probably not as bad because I haven't seen the match in many years but I remember the, do you remember the infamous Heroes of Wrestling mm-hmm. tag team match that I think to quote Brian Alvarez he gave it more stars than there are st- stars in the universe and the universe is infinite um, that was how I was feeling about this match fuck oh my oh. Dave you didn't like it did you <laughs> no no, <laughs> when you told me you watched this at you know half two, three o'clock in the morning, all I could muster was, "I'm sorry." Ah, <laughs> uh, this is fucking horrendous. If this was four celebrities, two celebrities, no celebrities, it doesn't matter. There is no excuse for this because this was god awful. It was three times yeah. longer than it needed to be. There. Yeah was nothing redeemable the finish was awful nope. no one no, nobody is any more overcoming it actually people are less overcoming out of this to be honest <laughs> like yeah. we had been talking about ddp as this fucking mega star in the making yeah afterthought afterthought here oh my god like just rodman looked shy after his you know very good appearances the year before carl malone he gets credit for, you know, giving it his all. The yeah. Disciple main event of the fucking pay-per-view. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it, 
God, fucking horrendous. Like, just there's not enough fucking adjectives to describe how bad this is. I was just sad when this was over. I was sad for me. I was sad for the company. I was sad for anybody who watches these shows along with us and had to watch that match because of us. And I'm very sorry about that. Um, And I just like, it was one of those matches that was so long and so bad. I was having an existential crisis. Like I said, I was kind of like, what am I doing with my life that I'm sitting here and watching this match? Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Do I deserve this on some sort of karmic level or something? Is that what's going on here? But do you know what the one silver lining is? Lee? It's over. I have because we do try to we do try to find a silver. Yeah, well, one we never have to watch that match again. We never have to watch it, and I don't intend to. The other silver lining, Lee, is that I know we go on this show will rage on for till we're done with this run of thunder and committed to it. If we can survive that match, Lee, at least Vince Russo's shit is we short. can survive. That's it. We can survive whatever that fucking Egypt Russo throws at us a couple of years from now. Because at least it's blinking you miss a television. Like, and I'm convinced of that because, like, this isn't... By the time we get to the Russo era, which is the era a lot of people mm-hmm. hate the most, it's it's in so bad it's funny. I, I can, I can, put, and I can put up with 13 segments in three minutes. But, like, yeah. a 40-minute Dennis Rodman match, No. My fingers mightn't be able to as I'm typing, and I may rue the day that I said these words, but yeah. And, like, this wasn't so bad it was funny. This was so bad it was an embarrassment. An embarrassment to all four men involved, in spite of the fact that, like you said, Carmelone was trying his level best. I think all, this match completely fell apart. Um, like again when you've got the point where the referee is having to yell at guys multiple times very clearly in the closing stretch of this match because things are falling apart you know it's gone bad it's an embarrassment for the company that they put this on in the main event of a pay-per-view and had the temerity to build it up this much it's an embarrassment to the two like generation defining sports stars that they were in Rodman and, and Carl Malone that like they're they kind of like lent their names and their themselves to this match for a night and this is what was produced from it like again like you said no one came out of this looking good no one came out of it moreover no one came out of it going oh god i can't wait because rodman does make another appearance on Mm -hmm. a pay-per-view for wcw like no one was chomping at the bit for more rodman action do you know what i mean like it just uh it was just a black mark on absolutely everybody and like I know there's going to be a, I, I know it's going to be a long time before we're actually covering it on this show but the Bash at the Beach two years from now gets a lot of shit for a lot of good reasons but fuck me I I don't know if I'd ever seen this match in its entirety before um, and I can't really I, I'm interested now to go back to Death of WCW and see what it says about it but anything I've ever read about this match dramatically undersells how bad it is um, and I, we should have known because of how much they skip over in that documentary we watched on the show last week. How quickly they skip over the mm-hmm. actual match part. I, like I would have uh, thought coming into this, ah, it's a fucking, it's a twenty-minute match. I, I can get through it. I didn't anticipate forty minutes. They never mentioned this match going fucking super long. Maybe because they wanted people to go watch it after watching the fucking documentary. More foolish. Mm. We thought Thunder was going to produce the worst stuff we ever saw. No. Turns out, pay-per-view main events are now our fucking enemy. Because, honestly, I don't think I could put up with another fucking match like this. 
Yeah. Uh, it was. Uh, yeah. Please uh, don't watch this. Please do not watch this match ever. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't advise against, like, I, I wouldn't say don't watch all of Bash the Beach, but do what Lee wishes happened. Just yeah. pretend the Goldberg match is the main event. Turn off the TV. Go outside. Take a breath of fresh air. Pretend nothing else happens. And then just go back to your life. And you'll be much happier than we are. <laughs> I'm so... Uh, Anyway, let, just, let, let's just end yeah. here because we'll just we'll go in circles talking about how fucking awful this well, is. Just, just, just end oh, yeah, the just, show. Yeah, general. done. <laughs> just, well, yeah, this was fun. Uh, com- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Completely fucking... Well, we didn't realise how bad this was going to get. See you guys. Uh, no. Uh, Lee, uh, hit me with your kind of overall evaluation of the pay-per-view main event notwithstanding uh, and then we'll go into our, our little closing bit. Look, there, there was parts we hated... Everything with Chavo was bad. Stevie Ray. I mean, but mostly there was a lot of positives. Like we had the best yeah. Bret Hart we've seen. Booker, like I said, did not look out of place next to a fucking megastar. Um, yeah. Jericho was Jericho. Ray is Ray is back. Um, yeah. Hoovy and Kidman had a had a little banger of a match. Like, um. Mm. It was a good pay-per-view. Raven and Saturn had a good brawl to open the show. Right, the finish was dodgy. But, like, overall, this was a good show. I, Like I said at the time, the Goldberg match, I thought, was pretty fucking brilliant. It's the classic, what everybody, the, the kind of trope everyone always says about WCW. Like, entertaining undercards and just absolute horseshit at the top of the card. It's the most quintessential one of those shows we've mm-hmm. ever had, I think. Yeah, like it's anyway. just. Yeah. I hope we don't have to get you some more of this, but I fear we might. Yes, and I am almost certain we will. Um, Lee, uh, who were your winners and losers on this show? I think I know what the latter is going to be. <sighs> Two winners are Mysterio. Uh, yeah, I'll say Mysterio coming back and getting the Cruiserweight title straight away. And Goldberg. Um, the losers... The biggest loser on this show is DDP. Yeah. I will say all four men to one mm-hmm. extent or another lose, but DDP was the guy who was in a scent since yep. we started this program. And this feels like a real kind of... He was in the main event of one of the biggest shows of the year and... If you take him at his word, what he was saying in that documentary, he seems to have basically carnied his way into being in that main event. And it just doesn't come off for him or for anybody involved. Uh, I'd have Actually, to can I throw that. one more winner? And this is going to fucking blow your socks off. Conan. Go on. Yeah. Oh, I give you that. Over as hell. Got in, got out. Got the yeah, job done. Like, and it, the association with Kevin Nash and Luger is doing him the world of good. Yeah, is week on week he's more and more over. Like you said, you noted multiple times, like the promo by itself mm-hmm. is over now that even Alex Wright and Disco can come out and get a bit of a pop off him uh, by doing it. Um, our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borga. We had 10 matches on this program, only four clean finishes on the whole show, one DQ or count out, four matches had interference leading directly to a finish, and one had miscellaneous shenanigans. Um yeah uh that is gonna do it for this episode uh of 
uh, Days of Thunder. But before we go, we will say one thing. Next week on the program, Pick Your Poison is yeah. back. Can't uh, wait. For those of you who are relatively new listeners and haven't got caught up completely on the program, Pick Your Poison is our once every couple of months side trip off Thunder Road where we get a special guest on the program. We get them to pick a wrestler off the Thunder roster in the year we're talking about. And we each then pick two matches by that wrestler, uh, an, an objective classic of theirs and a personal favourite. Uh, the match can't be from uh, 98 to 2001 WCW because we'll end up covering it at some point. Uh, and then we just sit in a bit of a round table and we chat it out. And uh, I've kind of been teasing on social media that we're going to announce who the wrestler is at the end of the programme. So without further ado, Lee, we next week on Pick Your Poison will be talking about the nature boy himself rick flair i'm very much looking forward to this one uh to peer behind the curtain we already have this one in the can it was in it was a really fucking enjoyable show i loved yeah. it uh, we, we, we won't in between our guests but we will say we not yet both loved having him on yes um and yeah it, it it's a great it's a I, we think we we both said it to our, like in our little chat ourselves it's probably our favorite show we've done yeah uh and like that comes from the combination of obviously like all our guests mm-hmm. so far on pick your poison have been fantastic uh and the one we have booked for pick your poison for i'm very excited oh, yeah. about as well uh but i think in terms of a marriage of the kind of wrestling i think the two of us really are mm-hmm. watching a lot of lately combined with a guest who uh, I've never appeared on the same program with before. I, I haven't either. Uh, uh, in spite of him being a good mm-hmm. pal of ours. So it was th- that kind of confluence of events uh, made it a very enjoyable and one of the better programs uh, we've ever done together. Um, so yeah, I very much enjoyed it. Look forward to that one dropping during the week. Follow us at WCW Thunderpod because between this show coming up and Pick Your Poison next week, I'm going to, over the course of the rest of this week, drop some cryptic clues as to who the uh, the host might be, uh, the, the guest host might be with us. And then at the start of next week, uh, on the Monday that we're going to drop Pick Your Poison, I will put up the full match card for the program because I know we have a few Thunder buddies out there who like to watch the matches along with us. Um so do check it out and I think this time maybe I'll drop a couple of links to some of the matches uh, if somebody wanted to watch them um, as well uh, so yeah keep an eye to us there uh, and as well like we love to interact with, with all you guys on there obviously everyone's got to come on to tell us whether Dean Malenko should be stripped of his <laughs> title on there um, so do follow us at WCW Thunderpod um, one of the most rewarding things we get is uh, being tagged in tweets about how you're enjoying the show, being tagged in tweets about how you're passing the pod around to your friends. That's something as well that I think uh, some people undervalue is like a lot of people get on podcasts nowadays by word of mouth. There's like a hundred thousand podcasts uh, out there in the world. And I think word of mouth uh, for me has always been one mm-hmm. of the strongest advertisers. So look, if there's a buddy of yours who's into the pro wrestling podcasts, um, Give them a shout. Tell them about Days of Thunder. Tell them about the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network where they get a lot of bang for their buck on there. Where you subscribe to one network, you're getting a whole lot of shows free, um, including Strong Style Story and Boom Goes the Dynamite and Through the Years. Um, happy belated birthday to Jeffrey from Strong Style Story, by the way. Um, this show's coming out after his birthday, but happy birthday to that man. Um, 
yeah, just just tell a friend about Days of Thunder. Uh, we we love having new Thunder buddies on board. It's been a uh, we've been tickled the last couple of weeks by there's a, a few of our newer Thunder buddies who are kind of tweeting us about how they're they're basically binging the show at the moment, and it's it's a yeah. privilege and an honor for anybody to listen to us at any time. We we but, we, um, we would never have two, considered ourselves binge worthy as a show. Yeah, we and we st- and we but still like don't. To, to, to see people like <laughs> tweeting that it's like that they've. Like um, Monkey Buckles, Mark, he has listened. Yeah. To, I think he went through like twenty episodes in eight days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolute gentleman who I spent some quality time with uh, uh, while I was. Uh, let's just say I had a few Louisiana mm. mules uh, Lo- loosen the lips <laughs> while I was on my holidays in Germany ch- chatting to him. But uh, yeah, another gentleman who, as you say, has been binging a lot of us the last couple of weeks. But uh, he's no. not the only one, and and we we do appreciate everybody who's tuning in, and it is um, it, it it hits us in the warm and fuzzies. So thank you all very much once again. We we wouldn't be still doing this, I'm sure, if it wasn't for the community yeah. of listeners, the Thunder Buddies that have come up around us. That uh, honestly, again, as I say, it's the highlight of our day when we hear people uh, chatting about the show or tweeting and, us. And or as you heard on the um, last on the uh, special show like we're just fucking two fans like we fucking we laugh about yeah. shit that like comes up on our timeline like that seem a fucking liking liking the tweet from from the account like we that's the kind of shit we just fucking yeah. love like at the end of the day yeah. that's all it is yeah. we're just two fans we're fucking we we love the same shit you all do and yeah two fans and two mates who would probably be having similar discussions even if there weren't microphones pretty much like um <laughs> yeah yeah that's how this show came about, like discussions about WCW while walking around Germany. Um, but yeah, uh, individually, I'm at the day to Dave and Lee is at Malone underscore 713 on Twitter. So uh, hit us up, follow us on there. Uh, we'll see you next week for Pick Your Poison, Ric Flair, and a week after that for our uh, post Bash at the Beach episode of Thunder. Uh, until then, everybody, stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. Good luck. I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside you